OTBGAA. Hurling games, all we can do is do our absolute best, and but we have to dust ourselves down and we have to go again. Just be the best that you can be after that. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. All right. All right. A very good morning to you. It's uh, Wednesday the 10th of May. Had to think about that one. You're very welcome along. Shane is here. Morning, how are things? Nathan is here. How are you? We're going to talk about uh, GA Go. Um, this is one of those very Irish stories that runs and runs and runs and gathers more momentum the more people try and shut it down. Everybody would have seen uh, Declan McBennett on the 6-1 News last night with Katrina Perry. If you haven't seen it, go and dig it out. Uh, they've helpfully made the video available for you. Um, very interesting. Fair play to RTE for holding themselves to account. Hopefully the story doesn't disappear now because I don't quite think it's over. We've Alan Dillon, the uh, former Mayo footballer who's now Fine Gael TD, is going to join us in about um, 10 minutes' time to give us his thoughts on it. In the meantime, there was some hot, hot, hot action last night. Bruce Springsteen was in the RDS. Oh, hey. he was there, he was there. I missed the, I missed the Champions League game. I, like, I mean, I had Bruce Trump's Champions League, as it turns out. Yeah. Was he good? Three hours I heard of chatting to Kira Kelly there at the coffee... Uh, she was at it as well. Three hours and ten minutes. Whoa. Yeah, played, played an extra ten minutes at the end. Is it a bit long? Uh, you, you don't feel it when you're there? A couple of times I've got to see Bruce, I'm always by the... I, you know, there's a bit about an hour and a half in, he still hasn't played the hits, I'm like, come on, let's just get to the encore and get to the good stuff. Where did you see him? RDS? RDS does he ever play any well? RDS in Nolan Park, I guess, L- are the only places he ever likes to rock up. Yeah, yeah. did he play Croker once? I think he played Croker once and ago. there was um, a sense that the sound wasn't as good as it might have been. Uh, Sam was excellent last night. I could hear him up in the Dublin mountains. They're still ringing in my ears this morning. Um, but yeah, a few, a few. I mean, the food is amazing there. Like, I didn't have any because we'd, we'd had dinner before we go. But the food at the RDS, I mean, like, mm. I can see why the people go to matches there. I know we're not supposed to be talking about this. I'm getting dagger eyes from, from Colin here. We've got what a, the food options are compared to other stadiums. Well, amazing. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, fish shop, have a van. There's like loads of high end. Uh, what are they? Con- Dublin Four Treats. Well, I mean, oh. yeah, other other parts of the country like nice food too. Shane. Of course, yeah, of course. You don't need to be grudge. I mean, it, it just like, turns out that the the Leinster supporters get the nicest food. They do get the nicest food. I'm like, <laughs> they're a red wine shop. Fair play to them. I don't actually. No, I couldn't see. Just on the drink though, right? On the drink. <laughs> the only the only pre mixed things are vodka and coke and like pink gin, which I I can't have gin. But I want vodka and coke. Give me <laughs> clip that there. Why? Because oh, it's a lot of coke at like ten o'clock at night. Yeah, but if it was uh, vodka, vodka, I wouldn't be mad. Keith, if it was Jack Daniels and coke, I'd be happy enough. Now you see, I, I like my red wine, and the time it comes back to me badly is when I'm at concerts because you get the shits. <laughs> It's going. This lad hasn't made a sleep. Clear. Said it comes no, back to me because, badly. No, because you end up having to go around with like a pint glass of red wine, otherwise oh, yeah. you're at the bar. And Big Sam. Still, Big Sam. It's it all comes back to Big Sam. just warm. Right. Like, wow. All right, give us your reviews of, uh, of Bruce in the comments. Give us your reviews. Oh, the, the sound, is it? <laughs> is that Bruce, is it? Uh, what what time did you get home last night? Uh, 
well, it wasn't how many how many uh, vodkas and coke did you have, Jer? That's a good plural. By the minute, it feels uh, like it's uh, starting to stack up. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading the comments, Jer. Did you see there was no footage of the Mayo Ladies Connacht final win on RT, but they showed the Dublin Ladies that wasn't even a final? Says uh, Cormac Keane. We will talk to um, the uh, Mayo team a little bit later on. In the meantime, last night one all. Is this, uh, I mean, uh, where in the previous year when away goals actually counted, this would have been a great thing for Manchester City to have come away. But they're still, for all the dominance last night in terms of possession, teetering on the brink. Yeah, they're nearly there. Uh, it, it just shows like the 4-3 the game in the, one of the legs last year. Was the first leg last year against Madrid? It was 4-3, yeah. Uh, chaos. And yet this year just looks more composed from City. They look more mature than they did last year. Uh, game management last night was brilliant. Like, don't get me wrong, Real Madrid had chances, but City had chances as well. Courtois with some brilliant saves to keep them in it as well. Uh, 1-1 is delicately poised, because there's, there's no reason why Madrid can't go to the Eddie head and still get a result. Oh, yeah, I think both teams will probably be relatively satisfied. Definitely there were long periods where City weren't in their normal rhythm, and there's just this brilliant madness to how Real Madrid can grab back control of a game, and then suddenly dominate and it was a strange game in that the two, go- two goals were unbelievable mm. like Vinicius again last mm-hmm. night when he's trying that rainbow flick imagine trying a rainbow flick in a Champions League thing <laughs> against Kyle Walker where else you got to really, didn't really come off confidence but like the balls to do that yeah. but City were probably having their best period just before Madrid got their goal and Madrid were probably having their best period just before Kevin De Bruyne scores an equally brilliant goal that's football but it was yeah they went with City went with the same team that started against Arsenal, so four at the back, obviously sticking Kyle Walker in there again, knowing that Vinicius is going to be a, a massive threat. They, I still think Madrid upset them quite a bit. They never let them get into any sort of real rhythm high up the pitch. Like The two midfields were fairly strong, and Haaland had a couple of half chances. I do wonder, and uh, don't clip this up with me being in any way critical of Erling Haaland, I do wonder whether they'd be tempted to rest them against... Everton at the weekend. Just to make sure. Mm. Well, you look at the game against Arsenal where he got the goal at the end, but he missed a heap of chances in that game. You look at him at the weekend against Leeds, missed a lot of chances again. He's played an enormous amount of football that maybe ahead of the game at the Etihad. Has he played an enormous amount of football compared to anybody who was at the World Cup, say? Do you know? 46 games. But with all that pressure on his shoulders to deliver in every game. I, I do just wonder if they feel, you know, let's give him... Let's give him one week off and let's trust Julian Alvarez to come in and do a job. But watching the game last night, like this is high end stuff. Mm. Like this is sport at its absolute peak. Like the technical ability of pretty much every player yeah. under enormous pressure. Like both sides. Is Calvin going to end up being a left back? Is that what they're going to do? Like uh, in a, you know, in a Cancelo slash now Trent kind of way well that's exactly what he did last night and just constantly stepped into midfield but because it's Carlo Ancelotti there can be no tactical genius uh, behind us mm. you know, it's just gives Carlo the ball away. just sets them up and lets them at it isn't that what he does gives the ball to Rodri for the build up of the goal as well from that position mm. so you'd, you'd, you'd be concerned um, see massive controversy about the ball being out of play or not was it not out of play like 10 minutes before the goal well that's yeah the ball I think play had gone back to Real Madrid at one stage after it went out of play right. and again it was very Spanish TV uh type <laughs> angles that showed it out of play pick well um, they've used AI to prove that the ball was out of play according to one of the Madrid um, maybe it was Marco I'm not sure uh, better goal 
Who's who's was oh. better? I, can I just I I think somebody somewhere has done a bit of analytics work at the top teams about taking shots from outside the penalty area because they're doing it far more often. The shots are better. They are more often uh, on target. And uh, I think this is good for the game. Element of surprise as well. Oh, that, oh don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, sorry, but actually, if I shoot, I might yeah, potentially I th- score a goal, which is the aim of the game. I think the Bruyne's was better, wasn't it? Outside of the boot, the technique was Yeah, ridiculous. I think it, it, uh, Vinicius looked better, yeah. but the Bruyne's was probably the more difficult. I wonder if it's just the way teams tactically set up now, that you do have that band of three quite often behind an attacker who are in that position coming onto the ball. But De Bruyne again, like De Bruyne has had a strange season in that he hasn't been anywhere near his best consistently. But if you look at all the most important games of the year, he's, he's well. been the best player in pretty yeah. much all of them. Yeah. I mean, we're probably, this is definitely late period Kevin De Bruyne. You know? We, mm. Yeah, he's what, 32 in the summer, I think? So Same age as Casemiro, of course, as uh, <laughs> fans were like, he's not that old. Same age as Kevin De Bruyne. It's like, well, De Bruyne, good for you know, 40% of your games next season and the year after. De Bruyne could have one of those Man City careers where he keeps playing um, and they keep him around for events such as Champions League semi-finals and hopefully finals. Mm. I'm very interested to see how they do in a final. Well, they have to get there. My overriding sense was that next week is going to be absolute chaos. That That City, even at home, are just not going to be able to control the game enough against this Madrid side to dominate them. And like, Vinicius is, like, he's heading, if he's not already at Haaland levels, for the way he can impact mm-hmm. the game in the attacking area. He's ridiculous. Oh, he's just so good to watch. Yeah. So good to watch. Uh, Modric again last night in midfield, just controlling it. Like, Tony Crows had a bit of a shocker of a challenge mm. at one stage, incredibly high. Some people might have felt it could have been a red card, but there's a physicality to that Madrid side, and this did feel like a clash of the two best teams in Europe There's, has there ever been a more low-key Champions League semi-final than the one tonight unless you're in Italy of course where I'm sure it's the biggest occasion of the year yeah since I'd the say. weekend just a bit <laughs> that's um, you know very local of you Nathan it is it is <laughs> as usual um, it was just ridiculous but Madrid have this aura in the Champions League don't they that just still hasn't gone away like we were chatting to Jasmine Valby yesterday about Jude Bellingham can you imagine Bellingham being thrust into this Real Madrid midfield as well next season I, you cannot rule them out heading into next week Carlo Ancelotti standing on those sidelines you just look at him you're like that man knows what he's doing um, and the way in which they set up yesterday just, I, I loved how they dealt with Haaland as well Rudiger had a lot of joy against him and even that, that moment where Alaba uh, makes an unbelievable block uh, from Haaland I think it was in the first half uh, and there's the fist pumps and the celebrations and every little moment where they, they got one up on Haaland was celebrated like it was a goal um, they were up for it Real Madrid but as it turns out City were as well so if we get more of the same in the second leg I'll be absolutely buzzing. It's 7.40 this morning. Here's what's going up between now and 10 o'clock for you. We have a star-studded show. Alan Dillon is standing by. We're going to get to him in just a moment. James Trace is going to join us to preview the Leinster Munster semi and then, you know, talk in the context of the uh, Heineken Champions Cup final as well. Kieran Donnelly's going to talk basketball to us at 8.25. We have Vinnie Perth at 8.50. Michael Moyles and Fiona McHale of the male football team at uh, 10 past nine. And Stephanie Zambra, who uh, you might know better as Stephanie Roach, uh, has been speaking to Kathleen and that's coming your way at around about half past nine this morning so an unbelievably busy show for you um, Andy Jennings has been in touch to say uh, about Colm's Monday movie recommendation which was Big Night lovely little film watched after the City Madrid game excellent Tuesday night all round it was actually Cameron Hill's shout to Colm uh, that was the, the uh, 
recommendation. You were up late, Andy, in your up early this morning. Yeah. Fair play to you. Yeah, not easy. Right, let's move on. OTBAM is live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Uh, Alan Dillon is a former male footballer who now, of course, is a Fine Gael TD and joins us on the line now to talk to us about the situation with regards to GA Go and in, in particular RTE. Uh, RTE were out yesterday defending themselves on the 6-1 News. Um, but Alan, you've got a view on this um, that maybe, you know, as a, as a politician, you raising these questions, they're going to have to answer them. We raise the questions and we, we've uh, requested in with RTE and indeed with the GA to come on and, and talk to us this morning and hopefully this evening about this issue. But you guys might get answers where we, we might not be able to. So what questions do you want answered, Alan? Well, good morning, Ger, uh, and thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, it, it certainly, you know, I suppose the decision to place both football and hurling uh, behind a paywall is consider- uh, is causing considerable distress amongst GA fans uh, across the country. Uh, and firstly, it needs to be established. Did the GA uh, explore other broadcasting options uh, or did they just decide to place uh, football and hurling games behind a paywall uh, following Sky's exit from the market? Um in recent days, there's been an alarming lack of transparency around RTE's 50% stake uh, in Diego. Uh, you know, uh, I suppose uh, contributing to that, you know, did RTE simply agree to keep um, these games behind a paywall to increase revenue for Diego and themselves? Um, and that's despite you know, RTE receiving increased state funding. Uh, RTE now have more sports rights than it can broadcast. And yet licensed payers are being asked to subsidise RTE further by paying for GAA sports content through GAA Go. Um, you know, we've seen that they, they are actually cherry picking key championship games for placement behind the paywall. Uh, and this seems less about fair selection. And I listened to the head of um, to the group head of sport within RTE yesterday around, the, you know, the selection being subjective. Um, but certainly, you know, it's it's more about a bid to increase their subscribers. Uh, and for me, it's counterintuitive for RTE, who is the public service body, to disregard uh, a significant proportion of viewers. You know, he talked yesterday about 250,000 viewers watching Munster Championship matches in favour of focusing on an app-based uh, streaming platform for these types of games. So yesterday, you know, given that RTE is receiving increased revenues from this arrangement, you know, it just seems unfair and unjust that the public should have to bear the burden of what they're already paying for within the licence fee. Yeah, you've raised a lot of interesting points there. And the transparency one is the one that I'm, um, I, I'd just like to focus on at the moment. Um, they're saying it's commercially sensitive to release the, the number of viewers, but how, how is it commercially sensitive when there's no other uh, commercial entity in the country who has broadcast rights? So, you know, RTE, if they were in competition with GA Go, would be very interested to know what the figures for GA Go were. But, oh, wait a second, the group head of RTE Sport is on the board of GEA Go, as is the Director General of RTE. Is that not a conflict of interest? Well, in my eyes, it is. You know, you have D Forbes and you have Declan McBennett, um, you know, singing off both hymn sheets, you know, uh, looking at what the RTE schedule 
should be in terms of their um, mandate to provide 16 uh, live games uh, which are predetermined set pieces and we all understand the importance of these but the decision and the fair selection around the other 15 games is now being called into question um yes it's a, it's it's a it's a condensed season you know and we understand the challenges that are faced by broadcasters um but the selection of the 38 ga go games needs certainly to be uh needs to be scrutinized even further uh, as a result um we talk about hurling and, and the monster championship being you know the iconic games that we all want to see so you know, for for them to 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 say that the most important games uh, are usually defined largely by where you come from, I think you know coming up to um, May twentieth when we have a, a double header where you have the last four teams who've contested our Ireland finals, um, you know, you know the decision making around placing these games on a Saturday, you know, is strategic in nature because like we've seen. You know, after 17 championship weekends, there are just five Saturdays where RT will probably, will will broadcast live action, and that's a clear sign of what direction um, RT are taking and the GEA in the interests of increasing subscription into this area. So, if if we just need to be very clear on this, if if there is an organisation and you're on the board of that organisation, while you you're uh, capable of representing some of the interests of your shareholder, you know, you're actually. Your job is to make the company run as well as it possibly can. So their job is to make GA Go be successful. And for GA Go to be successful, it has to have the highest number of subscriptions. That seems to be counterintuitive to the position of a national broadcaster whose job it is to provide value for money for the license fee. That- that's correct. That that is certainly correct. Um, as I said earlier, they're disregarding a, a significant proportion of viewers in favour of a, a, an app-based, you know, internet streaming platform for these types of games. So for profit, know, for, me, for profit. Sorry, we should say that this is a, for, a private yes. company that is, is. It's not a not. It's not a non-profit. You can. You can. Everybody can search up the company registration office and their constitution. It is a private company, and behaves and thinks and acts like a private company. And their job is to make profit, and they're very, very good at that job. They made a million in profit in 2021. Those are publicly available figures. That's the most recent, up-to-date figures that have been published. They made a million euro profit, and that's even before they had exclusive rights to the Monster Hurling Championship. And as you've said, I mean, I, I think the, so the hurling community are really agitated at the moment. But wait till the football community in a couple of weeks' time goes to sit down in front of the telly and on Saturday evening they're like, where's the game? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like, you know, hurling, you know, isn't played at the same degree in Mayo, you know, but that's not to say that we really enjoy watching any of the, you know, premier counties compete you know, in the All Ireland series, and I, I think I would express the same regard for, you know, people who aren't dominated by by football. That, you know, these really important clashes. Like we have a very short season, so we want to see the best games live, and have it accessible in every, you know, every person's living room. Uh, but the decision making here around some key people who have, as you said earlier, have, you know, conflict on both sides 
um, looking after you know RT's interest, which is the the national public broadcaster, but also trying to ensure that they're maximising profits. On the other hand, um, by ensuring that some of these games are behind a paywall, so you know it, it, it just you know needs questions need to be asked in relation to this. Like yesterday, I talked about. You know, is it a case now that we should be reducing the license fee in the, the upcoming budget in September? You know, as a response to RT's increased revenue, you know, from this type of paywall. Um, and, you know, that would certainly send a clear message about the importance of both maintaining affordable and equitable access to our national sports. Well, I guess we don't know what the increased revenue is because it's commercially sensitive information to uh, know what is coming in from GEA Go. Uh, Alan, on that greater point then about RTE, do you believe that they can have that balance of being a public service broadcaster while essentially competing with themselves as a 50% stakeholder in what's a commercial organisation? Well, I think they, they, like their, their first priority is to be the national broadcaster. And I think for the licensed PEs, they expect a service to be delivered on free to air. Um, and I think the commercial interests now are certainly muddy in the water in this regard. But certainly, I think uh, I have concerns around the radio silence from the GAA in relation to the transparency around um, the decision to explore other broadcasting options. And I think, you know, what, Virgin Media stated in their press release last night has, you know, uh, provided a lot more clarity in relation to uh, their dealings with the GEA. Um, because we see in, in, in the Ulster Championship, we've had BBC who are providing a, a free to air service. So, uh, you know, if we're looking to promote uh, our national games and we're serious about it, um, then we need to really, really look at what um, media rights are currently in place, um, and certainly um, the the GA the thirty eight GA Go games uh, that are being selected are being selected to maximise profits, as as we said, but at the cost of the license payer. And I think that's really at the heart of the conversation here today, and at the heart of every GA fan across the country who wants to actually see these games. And if this is a five year deal. You know, there there will be outrage uh, by the time we get to you know twenty twenty seven twenty twenty eight that uh, a lot of these games uh, people haven't had the opportunity to see. And again, you know, in the current economic climate that we're in, you know, with cost of living uh, increases, bills, you know, uh, at extortionate rate, they're being asked to fork up twelve euro per game for a, a web based uh, platform, uh, which isn't uh, a, a replica of what we previously had around the Sky Deal, which was a digital service that was on mainstream TV. So it isn't like for like in this instance. Alan, Alan do you have any concerns uh, around the the rights generally and the competition or lack thereof? I do, I do. You know, I, I, I certainly feel um, if you look at um, our national game uh, and the way the season now is condensed, um, I think, you know, a lot of the discussion around putting games behind uh, a paywall, you know, uh, and also both the financial and, and technological, uh, you know, inequalities that exist in this country um, are, a, are a, a 
a reason of concern. Uh, and I believe it's crucial that we have an opportunity to revisit this issue uh, and that the delegates and the membership have an opportunity at the next GAA Congress uh, to propose uh, uh, a review or a termination on the existing deal and ask, is there an opportunity for other broadcasters to uh, enter into the market and restructure it in a way that we have more games uh, live uh, and free to air uh, and that we're promoting our product in a more accessible way. We were told by a spokesperson, an unnamed spokesperson in, in um, the papers during the week that uh, they, they need to sell these rights because otherwise they won't be able to keep the organisation going and they won't be able to pay for a refurbishment of Stadia, etc. But in in the overall scheme of things, the GA, their annual report in, in um, 2023 annual report, so 2022 revenue, had total revenue of 96 million. Like the amount of money that we're talking about here and the, the rights for Sky and the, the amount of money, it's like it's a fraction of that, a tiny fraction of that. And we also know that there's loads of ways that the GA can, can raise revenue. They're excellent at doing it and they've been excellent at doing it. And they get a significant amount of funding already through Sport Ireland from the Exchequer. And now they're getting extra funding through the Exchequer by way of RTE and the licence fee. You do have to wonder, at some point, do they actually need to generate all this money Really, like at, at some point, and this is the tension that, that there is in the organisation where there's a, there's a group of people whose job it is to maximise the revenue earning capability of the GA, and they're in the offices in Croke Park and that there is a tension with the volunteers around the country. Is it time for somebody within the GA to kind of say, OK, enough, this is enough. We actually, we are a community-based organisation and we're not going to absolutely maximise the amount of money that we could make from our GA rights, but that doesn't matter because... We're a community-based organisation. Yeah, I'd have to agree, Ger. You know, the ethos of the GAA is that they, they don't leave anyone behind. But in this instance, they're leaving a huge cohort of its uh, support base uh, uh, left on the side. Um, and, you know, that is really concerning. You know, media rights itself, as you stated, you know, total up, I think, 11 and a half million over the last um, TV deal that was an- announced. So, you know, Sky were on the hook for, I think, over two million per annum. But it's only one fifth of what the organization actually, oh. uh, their 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 annual uh, turnover in the year, I think it's in the region of over, over 90 million. So it's a small proportion, but it, it is an enormous uh, opportunity, though, in terms of the media rights. Uh, and and what we actually see uh, in every person's living room that we have the younger generation seeing their idols uh, and have access to see them on, both on on free to air um, or uh, across other broadcasting platforms. But I, I'm not sure if you know thought was actually given to what the GAA Go platform was originally established for. And that was to connect the Irish diaspora internationally. And now it's been shoehorned into a into a position where, you know, we we don't have uh, fantastic you know internet coverage across the country. You know, we've only fifty percent uh, reliable or um, you know steady streaming services across um, uh, internet providers, and that again is bringing its own uh, challenges. Uh, where you know people viewing these games on their tablets or on their laptops 
have intermittent um, signal. And, you know, we've we, I've heard accounts from frustrated, you know, customers who just can't get that reliable uh, stream and service um, due to inadequate broadband. So we, we've moved a lot quicker here than one would have thought uh, in this regard. And um, yes, you know, media revenue is important, but it's not the be all or end all. Uh, and we need to get real in relation to how we actually, you know, look after um, the community-based volunteers so the, the, uh, and, yeah. ensure, and ensure that we have, um, uh, you know, an inclusive uh, product that's available uh, across, um, you know, every home. I remember 10 years ago, um, you know, when, when we were playing back in 2012, 2013, you know, August Bank Holiday weekend was always the weekend that everyone wanted to be still in the championship. And we had coverage uh, on games on the Saturday, on the Sunday, and on the bank holiday Monday. And that was even before uh, media rights were were an issue. What about the argument that with GEA Go, all the money is going back into the organisation as opposed to Sky, which you're dead right. was 50% a very, of it, obviously. 50%, sorry, 50% of it. But uh, the rest is uh, going back into RTE. And as Declan McBennett said, they spend that on more uh, sports which, rights. Which they're warehousing and not be able to show. They've got too many, as Alan Dillon said, they've got too many. Anyway, go on. But, but that argument that uh, I didn't agree with at the time, and I think Sky, as you say, it's on your TV, it's in HD, uh, there's no issues with streaming, that it's staying within the country, it is going back to grassroots, and you're right on, you know, Maybe how much money does the GEA actually need over the course of the year? But it's better than it going to a private organisation. I don't think I'd agree with that, uh, Nathan, because um, you know it, it, it certainly we we haven't got the detail or, or the transparency to, to understand the the um, strategic um, you know plan. For Diego, that's, what a, is- that's a very good point, Alan. And sorry to, to interrupt because on the news last night, Declan McBennett made the point that they did pay for rights, so they're actually paying. The GEA are, are now we're, we're being told paying themselves to buy rights. This is a very strange situation we've we've walked ourselves into, where the taxpayer is is fronting up half of the money for that now. But they also didn't have to compete with anybody for those rights because the GEA didn't go back to the market after the deal with Sky fell through. Uh, that's what we that's what we're told. But I think we need to establish that you know did the GEA look for you know or explore other broadcasting options before they actually entered into a, an agreement uh, with RTE and did RTE as I said earlier just agree to place uh, football and hurling matches behind a paywall. Yeah, and, and uh, you used a very strong word, or you're qu- quoted in the papers today using the word cartel. Do you stand over that? Well, I think until we get clarification in relation to um, G- the GAA and the RTEs controlling uh, the distribution of these games, there's no one else in the market here, Ger. So, you know, there is heightened these concerns and call it into question both the, the principle of fairness and competition. So I think we need to explore was there an, uh, another broadcasting option that RTE reached out to? And the one that everyone would be talking about would be, you know, Virgin or or TG4. Were they actually asked, um, you know, to see what they would actually 
bring to the table. Or take the Sky deal. They could have taken the Sky oh, deal. Or the Sky deal, absolutely. And Sky yes. wanted to broadcast more games. Yeah, that, that, our information is that Sky wanted to broadcast more games. Um, and, 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 and in all fairness, Sky did provide a, 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 a very good service. And, and more or less, Sky uh, had taken over the, the, um, the Saturday uh, broadcasts uh, of live action. Um, but we see now the direction that the GAA want to take, and that's to place all these Saturday games behind a paywall. Uh, Alan, listen to Declan McBennett chatting to Katrina Perry yesterday. Uh, he essentially said that this five-year broadcast deal, they are quite happy or open at least to going back at the end of each year uh, and review. Um, in your opinion, in your opinion, should that happen now at the end of this year? Clearly, nothing's going to happen, as Declan said during this championship campaign but but following this campaign should that five year deal be be assessed and reviewed again i think it needs to i i think you know if you gauge the temperature and the anger amongst the GEA community this fiasco now has been going on for the last two to three days you know i think it, it's done reputational damage for both the GEA and rt in terms of you know it's the trust and the integrity around the current uh, media rights package that's been available to both um, GEA fans across the country and I don't expect this to to, to go away anytime soon especially no. with the bigger games you know um, coming up over the next number of weeks and, and you know we, we have more games than ever you know RT have more media sports rights than what they can broadcast so yeah, I, I just feel that. Okay, you know, I, I, I'm, ahead of some I'm out of time, Alan. But I did want to ask you a final question: Is there a world in which you just see RTE being forced to divest their shareholding in GA Go, and then there would actually be some competition between them, and it wouldn't look so cosy that there's one rights buyer in the market who owns fifty percent in in conjunction with the seller of the rights? Because I don't feel like we're getting value for money as taxpayers when an organisation is sitting down at the same table with their business partners. Well, that's what what I said yesterday in my tweet. That is, it's a license fee increase to the back door. You know, they're they're getting um, increased revenue as a result of this uh, arrangement. And again, they're the national uh, broadcaster. So uh, I would agree that um, there needs to be a, a hard look in relation to the conflict of interest here from both. You know, the group head of sport and the director general in RTE in relation to how this arrangement was uh, put in place and uh, if going forward that this arrangement can, can continue uh, without any uh, conflict of interest as, as previously said. Well, I'm sure the competition authority would be interesting and, and, and um, maybe uh, maybe some of the other uh, statutory bodies could have a look at it and, and you guys as I said earlier at the start you, you have a much better chance of getting answers to these questions and, and uh, thanks very much for coming on this morning Alan Dillon uh, TD there we as I said we have uh, requests in to um, Declan McBennett and to the GA to come on and talk to us on the show it's a standing offer and you can come on this evening yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's not going to go away. I think as Alan touched on, you have Mayo against Kerry, Galway against Tyrone, mm-hmm. the last four All-Ireland finalists on Saturday week, all going to be on GEA Go. And it's not surprising this has come to a head now, because when TV rights deals are announced earlier in the year, it's a media story. You know, We're interested. Yeah. Everyone sees Sky aren't there anymore. Hooray, it's all going to be on free-to-air TV yeah. again. We're actually... 
I think people looked at GEA Go as such a brilliant story for the GEA and what it's done for the diaspora and how it's enabled them to stay in touch with the games. And sort of, as I did, thought they're going to show every other game that wouldn't be on TV. Let's be honest, not every game is the same, but not expecting that the biggest game of the weekend's it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks. Yeah. Uh, it's a story, as you said, that's not going anywhere. Five minutes past eight, OTBIM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Up next, James Tracy, preview in Leinster Munster and the Heineken Champions Cup. OTBAM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Six minutes past eight. I'm delighted to say James Tracy is back with us to talk to us about um, the. Uh, we'll start with the URC, right? Uh, what's the rivalry like in the dressing room? The week of the game, the day of the game, in the middle of the game, and at halftime of the game. How? What is the the like bones of this rivalry against Munster? Is it as intense as it was when you started? Is it always going to be intense anyway? Because you're up against people for an Ireland jersey. What's what's it actually like? From speaking from a personal point of view, I always had that hatred there, you know, and, and like as you said, you're, you're fighting for a jersey. So I would have been like. I'm, I'm sure I'm not on the Christmas card list in the Scandal household neither was he in mine you know or, but that's good it was good having that rivalry of uh, you know that the hatred inside you but also um, the years gone past of like the it's, you know it's, it's not an easy place to go to, to Tomond um, and you know like it's it's a cauldron and it's one of the best places to play for the wrong reasons in terms of it's it's so hostile, it's so intense. Um but that's why you play rugby and it's just playing those moments. But uh to answer your question, in, in my opinion rivalry couldn't be more still there. You know, whether the, the results um recently, yeah, you know, uh we've been quite dominant, but if you ask any of them, I guarantee you they, they hate they hate our guts. Uh, a lot of them anyway, and, and I would have had that same feeling playing any of the provinces. There was a lot of hate there from a personal point of view, but maybe I'm just a bit twisted. <laughs> was that word hatred across the dressing room? Was that was that the case? Could you feel the dressing room was different when you're playing Monster? Well you've different characters, you know, a lot of, like um James Lowe's a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, everyone just hates him. <laughs> yeah. uh, unless he's on your team, when, which is when when you love him because he's he's scoring one or two tries a game. But um, yeah, no, listen, the, I can't speak for everyone, but like certainly um, not being too traditional, but like you know, forwards would tend to get a bit more cheat up for a lot of things. Um, you know, where it's more combative, you're you're in the trenches. It's a lot easier to build that hatred inside you than some. Um, I don't know, like Johnny, I'm fairly sure has gotten fairly fired up over the years. But uh, I can only speak for myself in saying that I definitely had that that fire in me any time I was playing a province of like genuine dislike. And you know, over time that goes away. But like when you're in there, you have yourself feeling that. Does this start at underage, or does it actually? Does it only pretty properly manifest itself when you make the the senior team and you're getting picked and you're like oh hang on a second everybody here is just a little bit more on edge this week than they are when we're playing Zebra or Dragons or whoever I'd say it starts in school to be honest you know you, like I remember playing a few of the monster schools and, and you're going down and they're kind of like have this chip in their shoulder about like these soft lads coming down from Lancer and like you know they're giving you a little bit extra in the rocks and everything like that and like listen I offered I was I love that part of the game but uh like that's definitely for me anyway where it started, and uh, yeah, some people mightn't feel like that exists, but I definitely felt it, and I loved it. You know what I mean? I loved uh, the abrasive side of it, um, but.
but that's when it started for me. It was and, and then you go into interprovincials in um, at underage, and that's that's the you know that's the biggest uh, stage you can play on at, at that age. So it kind of starts from there, in, in my opinion, and kind of builds throughout. Was the was the level of um, smack talk, I guess, in the middle of games taken to another level in those matches in the scrums and. Do you know what? COVID was the only time when smack talk was uh, at its highest because oh, really? you had to create atmosphere, right? right. Oh, and, uh, it's very dangerous because everybody can hear you. Well, like you're, you're, <laughs> they had the dummy crowd noise <laughs> probably drowned out a little bit. Okay. But I, I just I remember that was one part of uh, well, obviously you you missed having the atmosphere of the game there. It was one part of I didn't like was like it was all the amount of chirping and, and going on but like you had to you had to try create energy somehow yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, I could listen I was just as bad if not the worst at talking crap like in the middle of games but uh, definitely looking back I didn't like that side of it versus you don't mind a few like there's always going to be a bit of chirp here and there but uh, there was it was kind of like very almost American uh, you know <laughs> the amount of stuff that's been talked during COVID but as I said you had to create the atmosphere from somewhere because it was just dead stadium. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I, I was very concerned at the time when Joey Carberry was moved from Leinster to Munster or slash moved. Uh, it felt a little bit like this This is a dangerous precedent to start taking good young players from one province and transplanting them to another because it's going to be very difficult for them to feel exactly the same that you felt coming through the Leinster system. What was your instinct around the time of that happening? Was it was there a danger of that? Because it turns out there hasn't been. Like, a, but I think maybe Munster got better at bringing players through their system as well. So, I think maybe I overreacted at the time. But um, what what was your when you were in the middle of that and this is happening? You're like, they're taking one of our really good players and they're making our main rival stronger. What's going on here? Well, you're obviously not happy about it, um, especially like losing. You know, Joe. He's he's, he's a great fella as well. Like he, he would have been um, a good part of the of the change room. Never mind being a class player. So you're not delighted about that part, first of all, just losing them in general. Um, but anyway, people make their decisions and, and you know, you're you're with the enemy then until you meet outside of rugby, you know, and, and then you're you're your pals. But um I can only speak from from, you know, let's say like John McKee coming into into Leinster and like he's part of the furniture now, you know, like yeah. so it, it taking people in uh, I don't think it's probably as big a deal as it's made on the outside um, but when you're losing someone to to one of your rivals especially someone who's very good definitely you're not delighted about it um, but again it's out of your control um, I guess Lancer did benefit from like Robbie Henshaw for example so maybe it swings and roundabouts yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah like there you go like that one I'm sure uh, a lot of the you know the Connacht faithful are still uh, a bit salty about that one, and rightly so. He's one of the best centres of all time. Um, but people got to make decisions for for themselves at the end of the day, and um, 100 like we're or 100 respect uh, Joey and his decision, like Robbie and his decision. At the end of the day, it's it's doing what's right for you. Okay, let's talk about the Sharks game last weekend and what what Leinster will have learned from that. Um, you've you've looked through it. What what was your takeaways? Um, I th- I think so. The, the Sharks like crazy athletes, and I think the South African teams have brought so much to the URC in terms of just that X factor and deal- dealing with th- these crazy big men. And also, um, like that Williams try at the beginning was just like 
exceptional. You know, you just have guys there, they've like an extra gear of speed that I don't know, we don't seem to have up here. But anyway, brilliant for us to be able to play against. But uh, one of my takeaways is probably the difference between, you know, the the good teams and, and the great teams um, is the attention to detail on, like, how they're running lines and all that side of things. So um, the great Felipe Contepomi, uh taught me about the uh, triangles late, probably later in my career than I would like to have known because um, I've gotten in trouble from a lot out halves about not knowing what line to run but um, essentially that you know if the ball carrier is running straight that the next guy should be running a tight line and if the ball carrier is running uh, an overs line so w- whether it be away from the rook that the next guy should be running a straight line um, that sounds very simple but a lot of the the bad teams will have not our bad teams when you don't run shape well it's you know you, you might have someone uh, running straight you might have someone running in but they might be ahead of the ball or they might be too deep and they're never an option or they don't look like they're ever going to be an option while the good teams have or yeah or they might be both running straight or they might be running uh, overs but the uh, the good teams or the great teams it's the timing of everyone is actually an option instead of just having that maybe have some, the, the person run straight the person uh, coming short but they're never really an option it's quite obvious to tell and like a dummy runner they're actually dummy runners because the one they don't have the conviction and two they're probably not running the right line at the right time I think the what makes like the top top tier European teams is the ability the understanding of that first of all and the ability to do that time and time again because when you're defending all of a sudden if I see someone running a dummy line and I know they're not going to get it I don't have to respect him and then the, the guys outside me and outside and outside all of a sudden we're wider and we're able to press because we're not getting sucked in well if I have to respect the short guy because he might actually get it then all of a sudden everyone outside has to come in a tiny bit um, and I just thought Leinster if you watch the watch the game back, Caelan Doris, you know, exceptional example. He had uh, for for Deegan's try. He he runs uh, that Harry Byrne takes it straight. Uh, Caelan Doris uh, comes in, sucks in a defender. Harry plays it uh, out the back to Hugh Keenan, and they pick them off. Jack Conan to to Max Deegan in the second and later in the second half. Jack Conan he was running on a bit of an overs. Caelan Doris straight, huge line break. So it's just the understanding and the execution. From from those guys at the minute, it's just exceptional of the the triangles, Felipe's triangles. So Phil Jackson had the triangle offense that he ran with the with the Bulls, and that's the first time I'd ever read about it. I'm sure other people were doing it too, but um, if memory serves, Phil Jackson was ripping it off from some uh, Knicks coach in the 50s or 60s. But so is that where Felipe got it? Is there a connection? Or had anybody spoken to? I listen. I, I'm, I'm sure. Spoke about the triangles. Yeah, first. like it's it's listen. It's how a lot of every attack is run. But it was just how it was explained to me in layman's terms. <laughs> it was the first time I got it. I was like, ah, okay, well, that makes it very easy because you know a lot of the time. And a lot of people were guessing half the time of like, there's a feel of like, oh, it was the right time to come in. Yeah. It was the right time to stay out or whatever. But it just it made it a lot more simple yeah. for, for me and, to understand and, and, and like there is another layer of like what's the defender doing but you know even if you just understand that prin- principle it makes uh, defending against it very hard because yeah. he's a good teacher because he just taught us in like uh, a minute and a half there and yeah. we, we all understood it too also yeah. in layman's <laughs> terms so that obviously worked out yeah no he's he's listened he's brilliant um and he's left a massive mark, and, and, and the, the great thing is, like Andrew Goodman is is a, a new version, so he's got new ways of doing it. You know, I talked about the themes and the different things. So, like everyone has their own uh, way of doing things, and 
and things that they're brilliant at. So yeah, anyway, that was his kind of layer and, and stamp he left on me. Anyway, he he did hell of a lot for Leinster, but uh, that little bit he gave, little nugget he gave to me. It looks like I've been staying around as well after we were speculating after mm-hmm. Roger bounced that ball that time. Can't believe that uh, that wasn't true, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it was such a the, the source really gave it away. But I know, listen, I, he was definitely a, a shoe in um, to to be involved, even maybe in the Crusaders. In the in the conversation, and then of course from what he done, from my experience with him, I'm not surprised if they were trying to get him over. Uh, I just it was probably the source they gave away for me. Uh, well, I'd say maybe it was you think wishful thinking on Roger's part to take him away from Leinster. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, and listen, and it, in fact, it, maybe it came from a good place of he's say, a, he's I, a class coach. I'd say, Paris. I'd say it did. Uh, so, um, you want to talk about Healy last week? Yes, yeah. So. Uh, I think we're talking about Keane in general of like the the role he's now taking in in the Irish and, and Leinster team. It's it unbelievable. I don't think the level of difficulty to be able to play loose head and tight head in the same game. It's at that level. It's just unheard of, right? And and he's just you know obviously he played hooker at one point in you know for the scrums in that Scotland game was it. Um, but just his, you know, just get on with it ability is incredible. But uh, unfortunately for him, the weekend it's, and the ride of passage for for any tight end there is is, uh, is getting your wings and, and getting lifted off the ground. Uh, <laughs> but didn't didn't affect him in any way. But I think that that's the first one I've seen in a game. Explain uh, the, that. For so again, getting your wings is uh, as a tighter. It only happen as a tighter prop where the pressure coming from the back uh, behind you and the opposition and your legs leave the ground and all of a sudden you're you're in the air. But uh, listen, it's uh, it's happened to every single tight end prop, whether it be in training or be in in a match, and it is a hundred percent a right. You know you, you're uh, you're on your way to to being a good tight end prop because after that you learn the ground is your friend, and uh, it, it is it's definitely a, a rite of passage. That, that must be a comparison to another sport, like the ability to play a tight end and loose head like so seamlessly the skill level involved there is ridiculous ridiculous yeah uh, I, I, like Keane's a generational player and and uh, I, I loved scrumming with him at, at loose head but I just his aggression and want for going forward at tight head like he genuinely was one of my favourite people to scrum with in, in general and, and uh, I get jealous when I see like they had a big scrum pally the last day and he was in with, with John and uh, just that feeling you know because like I know when I'm packing down beside him he's go to, it's go time especially with Porter as well um, this Munster team obviously Fekatoa, Murray, Nash and Snyman are all out and so it's going to be very difficult for them to overcome those injuries do they still have enough about them to win this game? So they can definitely win the game, but I think they need a lot to go for them to win the game. I, I, I like me being honest. I would say it'll be like a like a close first half, and I feel like we'll pull away in the second half and win comfortably. The only way I can see them uh, getting into this game is is getting rattling rattling Lancer early. I think that's what they they need to. Uh, so they're very good in the air. Uh, when I say the air, at their uh, box kicking and chase and contesting in the air. So putting a lot of pressure on uh, on the guys in the backfield, getting momentum into the game, maybe getting a few scrum penalties here and there, um, a I few th- turnover penalties. I, I know. Like I was they, gonna say, when you say rattle like they need to be twenty one nil up with a and man advantage <laughs> to, for Lester to be rattled at this not stage. quite not quite I like 
rugby and sport is very fickle. When you're going well, you know, everyone is you know wants to know the secret sauce and what like how are you so unbeatable? But a chink in the armor, a mistake, like a all it takes is you know a mistimed tackle, you know anything to either give a yellow card or a big swing of momentum, and all of a sudden things can change. Do I think Leinster win? I do. I think they should win, um, you know, by a couple of scores. But how can Munster get into it? I think they need to rattle uh, rattle Leinster early and um, just get them out of their game, get them out of their flow. And uh, it's like pressure game, they need to Leinster to make mistakes. We asked you to pick a 15 for this week uh, with the final the following week in mind, uh, which is obviously the same job that um, Leo Cullen and, and Lancaster and the rest of the crew have how do they do that how do they make sure that everybody um, arrives at the La Rochelle game primed and ready to go like for us outsider like oh they need to get some game time or some minutes but that's not really the case is it like when 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 do you feel like most players need to have last played before they can play at their absolute peak so again it's different for different players for me um and I'm not at the elite level of like a lot of those lads, but when I was playing, I needed to be playing every week. But there's some guys, like, you could leave, like, um, Johnny, you could leave him out for six months, and I would be 100% confident he goes in there that he's going to run the ship well. Um, if you look at uh, Charlie Natai, off for, like, huge break, again, I'd be 100% confident. I think the more experienced you are, um, the the less probably you need under your belt. A bit more when you're a bit more of a card horse and you like playing every week, it suits you. You get in the flow of of playing uh, more. And when I say card horse, I was more of a card horse. Um, so I, I, I like my picking of the team was I think there'll be a lot of continuity from last week. I think they have an opportunity to do that, so I can't see why they won't. Um, they'll throw in a, a sprinkle of guys um, to, to freshen it up, but. I think uh, why not? Like the team played pretty well last week. Bit of continuity and um, kick on then for for the next week. You picked Milne, Kelleher, Healy in the front row, Baird and Jenkins in the second row, and then it's Deegan and then it's Penny slash Connors. I guess that's depending on depending on injury. Yeah, mm. Conan at eight, uh, McGrath and Harry Byrne nine and ten, uh, Dave Carney and either Larmer or Jimmy O'Brien. On Penny the wings. on injury there. I saw Jordan was off injured, wasn't he? And Natai and Frawley in the centre. Uh, with Hugo Keenan playing fullback, um, when you look at the injuries that Munster got, you know this is a contact sport. There's you, you get lucky some weeks and you get no injuries and you get absolutely decimated with five players coming off injured. Um, the Leinster squad is really big, and you'd say at this stage they're so well tuned that nobody is indispensable. But is there anybody who you just wouldn't risk this week just to make sure that they're at least on the starting lineup next week? Um. Well, I've I, I've gone a different perspective on it. I, I've gone the um the team that played uh, last week. I've gone just for continuity in terms of it's hard chopping and changing every week, and, and that's one of the challenges of it's great having a big squad, but as a player, it's hard being chopped and changed and having different partnerships and different things going on. So I think for the the sake of continuity, um, and like I. Uh, that's probably what the thinking a little bit would be is is get this. It means also the the lads who aren't playing they have the continuity of training against this team the whole time. So you have two teams who are in whatever three or four sessions a week 
having the same partnerships, having the same people training against each other. Um, I think that's more important okay. than kind of like because you can't the okay. moment you go into kind of like like wrapping cotton wool yeah. you pick up like the silliest knocks or you know like that's actually when you get more chance of getting injured when you're trying to uh, knock it injured I was watching Andy Kariaki the Munster forwards coach speaking during the week and he was talking about he was asked consistently about the, the weight of history in this per record that the Munster players have playing Leinster especially away from home is that something that that just the media and people outside are worried about or do you genuinely believe that the Munster players will be thinking about the the history and, and the fact that they just can't seem to get over Leinster it's definitely in the back of your head like I know from with playing against teams that, that like when they consistently uh, you know have beaten you over the years you always just have you know, when I was in school was, that team was like Black Rock it was like you know before we got in the field you know we'd beaten ourselves but uh, like I know on pals with with Ty Byrne, and I know like he wants nothing more to, than to beat Leinster, and he won't be worrying about what anyone else thinks about um, about uh, the games that have gone before. He's just going to want to be trying to get the team uh, on his back and, and um, coming up with big moments. And like he, you know, he he's going to be pivotal for for how they do. Like he has an exceptional game. I think they're, they're right in it, and they're going to depend on him. What's Leamy like? Amy's a legend. Um, I, I couldn't I couldn't speak higher of him. I think he's he's like probably the biggest asset they've gotten in in terms of like culture, um, culture fit as well as like class, um, detail, the contact side of things. Uh, no, he was he was absolutely brilliant in his time. Um, a lot of t- a lot of lot, like it's funny you know when someone comes from you know you have again this perception of like. You know, like I didn't say I hated him, but like definitely didn't like him over the years because he was just such a big character for Munster. Very good, very good. Exactly, yeah. that also helps towards saying. But you know, you get to know people and, and like, yeah, absolute legend of the game one and two, uh, gentleman. And, and I, I'd say um, if you ask any of the Munster players, they'd they'd rave about him. Uh, have you met Scandal since you retired? Is there peace breaking out now that you're <laughs> now that you're civilian again? Not quite yet, but yeah, I listen. Uh, anytime we're, we're you're off the pitch, it's uh, it's all good. But uh, I think it's healthy to have that uh, that bit of competition. Well, we're we're on. about to talk to Kieran Donnelly, and like famously, you know, at the end of the All Ireland final, he goes, "What do you think about that, Joe Brawley? Like the the individual battle that you have with whoever it is that makes you not eat badly or do the extra bit of work that you I can't get the motivation to do this but if you have a direct rival who you think might be doing it down the road then sport is weird like that you kind of need to be a bit psychotic yeah I think yeah especially to play rugby to be a bit bit tapped (laughs) no it's uh, it's a great part it's part of the game that that, uh, I certainly relished in I loved uh, the competition side of it and um the rivalry side of it, and I, I definitely didn't didn't shy away from um, how, like expressing that side of it when I played, and, and uh, it doesn't mean that I'll carry it on forever, but uh, definitely in any slowly it'll <laughs> yeah in slowly it withers away yeah yeah <laughs> um, but yeah the competi- the the competitor I don't think ever leaves you when you're in the field of play, but I think uh, life moves on. You've mm-hmm. given us a prediction that uh, in as the second half wears on, that Lancer should be able to see them off. That fair enough. That's where you're. That that's what you're sticking with. Your yeah, position. I think I think the longer the game goes on, I think we'll, we'll wear them down. Um, monster of like they were like a, a very good fence, um, so th- they would play with uh, what I would call kind of like a fourteen kind of one with the wingers uh, on a pendulum. We'll say right. So explain that they, they, like when you're attacking against them, it feels like 
you're attacking against 20 people and they're all just in front of you um, and they would their, their wingers are very clever at, at reading kicks so um, they come from the backfield into the front line very quickly as you're trying to attack and all of a sudden there's like an extra man there but how you punish those sorts of uh, defences is that those attacking kicks um, so I feel like if, if Leinster can um, pin them back and, and punish that and, and try get them to to get it wrong with with their with their wingers closing early um, I feel like we'll we'll do well against them but the, the great part of that defence system is gives you loads of poach opportunities because you have a lot of men around the ball um, so that's the threat so um, if Munster can get a few few early poaches um, is, is Coombs will probably be be playing, Bernie be playing, so like they, they have a lot of guys who will be on hard at the ball. All right. Um yeah, that's 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 their chance to get good it. stuff. James, enjoy the game, that's brilliant. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Uh we'll have more from Alan Quinn later on in the week from the month's perspective as well in the build up to that. Now Kieran Donnelly is with us. Kieran, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jerby, how are you? I'm very well. What's the crack? Not too bad, man. How are you getting on? Yeah, good. Nice nice quiet time for you. Uh we have promised that we're not gonna talk uh, Gaelic football. Um, so we're actually we want to talk basketball with you, right? Um, okay. Uh, can I ask you one question about the road show that the lads had the other night? Uh, James Dunne had a story, and Tommy Rooney is casting aspersions on the veracity of it. You might be able to vouch for this. Uh, before games, Paul Galvin would squat Mike Quirk. Is this true or false? Yeah, no, it's it's true. And and when Mike retired, I became the heaviest player in the dressing room. So. I was often on Paul Galvin's back before we games. <laughs> and I was on his back during games too because he carried us through a lot of them. But uh, no, yeah, it's, it's, it's a definite thing. I think, he, I think it was a thing about firing up the quads for being explosive around the pitch. So yeah, um, probably maybe not the safest thing in the world to have the likes of myself and Mike on your back. But uh, it was definitely something that he did before every game. It mightn't be quite a set of eight, James said. I, I, I kind of remember maybe three or four just to get the quads firing right before we went to the pitch. But yeah, um, Paul was obviously uh, incredibly uh, dedicated in his prep for, for, for games and performing at his best for Kerry. So uh, there was no such thing as embarrassment if he felt that something could maybe get him uh, an extra inch or two <laughs> yeah, around the pitch. fair enough. There's the psychological element of that as well. It's, as well as getting his quads ready, he, other players are probably looking looking at that going, Jesus, this is, oh, right, yeah. this is serious. We're on it today. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, he was yeah he was he was an animal. Um, obviously, you know you'd see him on the pitch and people would uh, uh, have seen the way he played and all that. But just in terms of his prep and and, and what he put into it, he's um, very detailed orientated and would have looked at every every little factor to to try and get an inch. So if he read somewhere that firing up your quads um, with uh, a large amount of weight on your back before a game, uh, he wouldn't be shy in asking the biggest fella to jump up in it for a few minutes. Well, it, it definitely worked. Come here, we had um, John Feehan, the CEO of Basketball Ireland in studio last week, talking about the strategic plan. And I just wanted to get your perspective as somebody who is deeply embedded in the culture of basketball in Ireland. Um, uh, what, what's your instinct about where the sport is at the moment and, and the plan and just generally how quickly or otherwise there might be some room for progress? Um, yeah, like, look, the, the the plan is good really around the, the theories of, you know, more teams is obviously uh, uh, an important one. Obviously trying to get more players, you know, things like table official referees, as we know, being a referee is, is never any fun in, in most sports, um, but especially basketball because you're, you're so close contact with the ref. It's such a fast-moving game that, you know, 
obviously as many mistakes as players as we make they make mistakes but in our eyes they're nearly not allowed to um, so it's it's not easy being a ref so I can see why they're, they're, they're looking to get more refs in the game uh, I know this year we started the season with, with three refs at all games and then for lots of games it ended up being two so there's obviously a shortage there uh, so they're obviously looking at that to improve that but yeah, just a general, you know, um, awareness of the game has probably never been higher. Um, I think the the Super League is probably at a really good position now, just short of maybe what it was in the 80s and 90s. And I think the reason for that, and I know I, I listened to yourself and uh, and John and Shane talking about the plan, and I know you kind of quizzed him on the, on the TV um, thing, but that's really where, you know, they need to figure out can they get games possibly on you know, Tina G on Friday nights, big games in the big stadiums, whether it be in Tralee or Neptune, uh, or if they bring a big Dublin derby uh, to the arena and, and really market it and sell it out and get kids over to it and let kids in for free, all those kind of things. Um, I think that's really where it needs to go to get into the general public's eye. Uh, that would really, really, I know I'm currently looking for, for a spot. Uh, 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 you, you know, we have... Garbage Three Warriors who've been very good to us, but you know, the team is the league is at such a level now. There's two Americans in the league next year. So funds is always a thing for teams. So, you know, to to satisfy the, the likes of Jim and, and the Garvey group, if you if you could say, listen, you know, there's gonna be a game, you have the cup final and the league final that are on TV, it's great. But I think where people are and the amount of times people come up talking to me about basketball now, whether it be the Super League, the Irish team, or obviously the NBA, it's never been on people's tongues more I think uh, you know it's obviously the phones it's hitting us the, the NBA is such a product at the moment even the EuroLeague we'd have Daniel Jokobaitis here who's from Lithuania one of our best players in Chile over over the last number of years you know the EuroLeague is, is sensational and um, it's sensational to watch you're talking about crowd if anybody's if anybody wants to see the difference between NBA crowds and European crowds, just type NBA basketball and European basketball into the YouTube and you'll see the difference between the crowds and just the fervor that is around the European basketball game, whether it's Real Madrid, Olympiacos, Panathinaikos, um, Barcelona, all these big teams. Um, you know, the the TV is where it's obviously at and uh you know, I like everything to do with the plan, but I think there does need to be a, a, a real push to see, can you get Virgin Media, can you get Tina G, can you get RT to, to maybe look at games on, on, on a Friday evening that there is a gap in the market, whether there's no rugby on at that time of year or there, there's, there's a little gap. Can we get a few of these big basketball games on? Because we played Neptune here during the last game of the season and it was, you know, they, they beat us by one. Jordan Blunt had an incredible three-pointer to win the game at, at at the death. But as terms of a product, if you had cameras at that, you know, the country would be talking about it because it was just electric. The, the crowd that was in the hall, the noise, the foghorns, um, the show that was put on by the by the Warriors committee beforehand. It was it was an incredible product and, and it's nothing short of if TV cameras were there, it would make such a difference because it just helps promote the game. It helps, obviously, with the amount of viewers you're reaching. It helps with your sponsors when you go to them that they're really getting something, a bang for their buck if they know there's a possibility more than one or two being a cup final or a league final that games might be on TV. So that's just the only place where um, I would say that possibly falls short is there has to be a real push to to, to get in front of people's eyes, especially if you're looking for funding of Sport Ireland for the elite teams and all. Uh, Tina G do a great cover, uh, coverage of them games 
Um, but yeah, that, that'd be the big one for me. That's what it is, Kieran, isn't it? It's word of mouth because I know John was saying John Feehan that they want 260 clubs, I think, by 2027 in this in this five year strategic plan uh, across the country. Um, and, and we've spoken to you about that before the match day experience and people don't often realise how close they are maybe to a, to an Irish basketball game in in their locality and the, as you say the lights the, you know t-shirts being thrown out of cannons the music just the, the atmosphere you nearly have to be there or have spoken to someone who has been there to really experience it and that, that look becoming more visible on TV as you said can only help yeah no 100% and uh, you know I think even you know, when, when when the coverage of the of the national games is on the arena, you know, there's two thousand people packed in there. It's electric, and sometimes it nearly I'd nearly be saying that when they're going through the game with with the analyst, you nearly want them just to to start going around the crowd and start actually trying to get the atmosphere because you're often trying to hear the commentators talk pre-game or the analyst talk pre-game about what's going on. Uh, whereas you see when you watch the NBA, they're big into getting cameras on the, on the crowd, getting cameras on the smoke machines, the lights going off, all that kind of intro stuff. So I think there, there, there's a small bit there that we can even improve on with the, with the national team games. But, you know, uh, anybody who's been to a, a top-level close basketball game with a big crowd, obviously you've had the cup finals over the year, which is obviously our, our flagship product. But even that cup semi-final weekend that takes place below in, in, in Neptune Stadium and the Maradike and Blue Demons, you know, they're electric atmospheres. And I think, you know, we might have been the first crowd in Tralee that tried to do the cheapest NBA product ever with getting the lights off and lasers and lights on the floor and that kind of smoke machines and that kind of entry team to to, to just jazz it up a small bit. But a lot of teams are really buying into that now. We played against Mary, who won the Cup this year. And, you know, they had a huge crowd in Galway. They were obviously having a great season. They blew us out of the game by 30 points, but the atmosphere inside there was 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 unbelievable because they went the extra mile with just making something special uh, for the kids that when they go to it, that they just want to go back and that, you know, that they want to go and see these players play. Um, and I think anything being on TV, um, it, it, it plays a huge role in, in kind of promoting the game um, and, and making the league you know, even more special and players wanting to play because, you yeah. know, as John said, it's a semi-pro league. You know, you've got your few Americans that are getting paid. Uh, there's two Americans in every team. So the product is even going to be better this year. You're going to have four Americans on the floor at all times. Um, so that's going to make the standard higher, the the, the games better. Um, so, yeah, looking to get something on uh, a station on a Friday night, maybe move one big game every three weeks to a Friday night, pick your marquee games and your marquee venues and just get it going that way initially, um, I, I think will play a big part in, in, in raising the profile of the league to an even higher level and probably helping all the points that John has and Basketball Ireland having that five-point plan with new teams, new refs. You know, if all that stuff is on TV more, that would automatically happen. One of the other things that we talked about briefly at the end was centralised contracts, the side of, of rugby, and just how transformative that would be if the you know you reach a certain level and then all of the clubs have one player who's paid for by central contracts. That's potentially a game changer for the national side and for the league. Yeah, it it would be huge, of course. And, you know, obviously, you know, that will probably happen. How far it is down the line, I don't know. You know, funding is, is a huge part. Sport Ireland probably play a big part. The government play a big part in getting behind basketball a bit more. Um, I know John has said that they, you know they're really interested in what they're talking about, but you know there's nothing shows interest in, in, in pumping money into the sport. It's the largest indoor sport we play. It's, there's a huge diversity in the game. 
you know, it's playable. There's never games called off. You know, that national team program, you know, I know Owen Quigley that works with us here in PST was on the Irish national team. They're looked after well, but I know it could be so much better for them. You know, they're they're playing at the highest level. Um, they're competing against really good teams. There was NBA players in the arena last year playing against them. So, you know, if that could be brought on to another level, um, that would definitely help with the game, Jared. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, there, there, there's funding needed to push the sport. Um, and, you know, I've obviously always been a strong advocate for basketball in this country. And I think it does need a big push from both the government to Sport Ireland to really get behind the game. Um, you know, the, the level of talent, Jared, that we have coming out now that are heading to them and four-year scholarships, you know, if they knew that they had a serious national team program to come back, if they knew they could come back and be the main guy in their town, in their club, um, you know, you be gas that would be coming out of the four year scholarship, would want to possibly play in Ireland with being of a contract where he goes for the next number of years as long as he's healthy, he'll be able to start getting a house, getting you know, setting up a family. Uh, and if you those guys kind of really tying themselves in with the national team and their club team, your profile of the league goes through the roof. Like you see a kid like Adrian Fulton, what he's doing in, in, in the States um, is, is, is unbelievable. The, the level of basketball he's playing and, and where he potentially could go. Uh, he, you know, it, it's, it's sky's the limit for these guys that are coming out of, out of, out of Ireland now as 17-year-olds, raw, talented, hungry. And then they go to America and they go from playing four to six hours a week um, to playing 20, 28 hours a week with the amount of practice they do before and after school over there. You know, that's a huge, huge rise in their talent levels. If they want it and they want to work hard, um, there's no reason why why they can't, uh, why Sky couldn't be the limit for all of them. Yeah, 100%. And I, I think, um, like, th- th- it's really exciting when you start to think like that. And, and, you know, maybe some of the Americans who come over could be Irish qualified. And then suddenly this is kind of a rolling ball of knives that, um, uh, you know, just. Yeah, the national team going well. The national team going well at a high level would just skyrocket the game in the country because uh, they've done very well over the last number of years. Like they've climbed up the leagues in Europe, um, and and the coaching staff, Mark and Nimmer, have done a great job with them. But yeah, just that just that level of if guys that are going over to the states could look at possibly a future for themselves in, in the game of basketball in Ireland that would be massive for the for the country uh, Lakers beat the Warriors again uh, on Monday night Kieran uh, 3-1 up in the series a one, one win away from the, the Western Conference Finals I mean it's LeBron and Steph bas- basketball fans absolutely spoiled at the minute with the, with the playoffs um, but it was Lonnie Walker who uh, tore it up in the final quarter for, for the Lakers so it's really heating up that's really heating up yeah Lonnie was I think he had 15 points in the last quarter so you know an incredible for uh, for a role player although he was a really good player for them at the start of the season until they they figured out their roster and, and he probably fell down a small bit but you know the level of talent that these fellas have low down the rosters in the NBA is 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 bonkers you know we probably see them rocking the bench and playing garbage minutes at the end of the game um, but these fellas are, are at another level and yeah Lonnie was unbelievable the last day I think the the Warriors probably missed the trick. They looked to be causing Anthony Davis huge problems with high pick and rolls. And, you know, I think it was uh, Stan Van Gundy might have been the, the co-commentator on the game last night. And, you know, he was freaking out about why they weren't just running that every single time down the court because it was really causing them trouble. So the series isn't over. Uh, people may think it is. Um, LeBron's a killer when he gets into this position. But, you know, the, the Warriors, when they're playing um, at home and that crowd is up, and you know a team that hits that many three pointers it can just 
start to play in your mind a small bit later on. And, you know, if Clay and Steph hit fire over there um, and they get a Jordan Poole a small bit more consistent, Wiggins has a good game, Draymond's going to be Draymond, he's going to carry the energy for them. So, you know, they win They win game five, all of a sudden it's it's 3-2 and, and then all the pressure is really on LA in, in game six and... You know, it, I, there, there's there's twists and tails potentially in the series. Yet I don't see it as simple as as the Lakers going closing it out in game in, in game five. So yeah, it's a, some fascinating series going on at the moment. The, the level of basketball is and the way the game is played. There's probably a reason I don't watch too much of the regular season. Um, you know, it's it's very much go through the motions for three quarters, and it's understandable. They've 82 games. You can't in your right mind um potentially be 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 up for every one of those games but when it comes to the playoffs it, it's do or die stuff and you start seeing fellas diving you saw LeBron fly into row eight or nine the last night trying to save a ball you know when they're up 12 so it's uh it's a different game the playoffs but yeah unbelievable at the moment uh, great to have you back Kieran. enjoy the weekend whatever happens best of luck with it thanks a million you're the man Jar. all right bye be safe good to talk to you Kieran, Donnie give us um an impassioned uh reason why basketball is about to explode in Ireland and hopefully he's right um, if you want to get in touch 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number OTBAM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition is available now Vinnie Perth good morning to you how are you? Good morning how are you all doing? Nice quiet week in sport yeah really quiet nothing nothing going on government getting involved with sport again and um, <laughs> fair play to the GEA um, they know how to say stay right in front and centre of of politics and life in Ireland and um, yeah let them sort it out themselves but I'm sure uh, it'll all work out eventually um, It was interesting when Declan McBennett was on telly last night he was talking about the massive number of uh, GA matches and the massive number of rugby matches and then and loads more football Irish football than we've ever shown before it was like not the number though mm. is, it, is it you know is it how many League of Ireland matches is this is it, is it not enough is it double digits is it just over double digits I'm not sure but they're not as committed to that as they are to the GEA anyway. No, and I was supposed to say the viewing figures and you'll hear all this stuff, but um, I think the I think RTE and in particular have a responsibility to sport. You've just been speaking about basketball. And, um, and and my challenge with it from listening from the outside is how do you how do you fix what, what the problem is? How, how do you fix it? Do you just play GEA all weekend? Do you turn on your telly on RTE or do you want to and watch GEA all weekend? Um, so they've moved to, to GEA Go and that's effectively pay-per-view pay or whatever the right word is, but so was Sky. Like. Um, but the world is changing, lads. Um, I don't think I went to... I was in <coughs> Crow Park. You can't pay cash anymore, you know? Um, with, with stuff I do, some things I do outside of uh, sport, people are paying the older generation who aren't paying the bills on their phones now and topping up in cards and life has moved on. So um, yeah, it, it all uh, I smell a rat from all different angles. You know, uh, politicians will look for extra votes by yeah, yeah, we've got to get it on telly. Yeah, I'm yeah, always yeah. very squeamish when the politicians are coming. And we started the show with the politician this yeah. morning, but there was definitely you know I think in fairness he is raising legitimate questions that he has an answer might might get a chance to answer. But when the Taoiseach and the Tallish are like. Mm-hmm. Will I say something that is very wildly popular? Because they know it's going to be unreal in the years and they have to get their little sound by then. Maybe, yeah. But it's more that there's no consequence to what they say. Well, yeah. There's literally no consequence. They can say whatever they want about this and other people are going to have to... The way my brain will throw one back at you. What's the solution to it? Genuine question. Honestly? Yeah, if money was no object, what's the solution? Well, 
I don't think that the national broadcaster, who is the only now client for championship matches, should be allowed to be in partnership with the GEA for a separate organisation which is bidding no, against No, no, I get that, but what's the solution for Sean matches? Uh, some matches will have to be paid for. Some matches will. And there needs to be a decision about what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. I do right. think... The so G- then the cynical in me is then, is this, although getting some bad publicity, is the GEA ultimately going to be paid... Some yeah. money by government as a subsist, like whatever, oh, you whatever think the as a grant. For it? Eventually, well, we're heading down that way. It feels like in the background we give a lot of money to the GA at the yeah, moment. Yeah, but maybe they could do a little nope. bit more. Well, if, if money was no object, the national broadcaster should have a sports-specific channel yeah. on on terrestrial television. Well, I mean. that would be great because then there's there's loads of room for all of the sports. So. Is is that where the the discussion needs to go to? Where there's actually a channel called T, uh, RT Sport. Just sport channel mm-hmm. that provides a service. Yeah. No carnations on the OT Sport Channel. Well, maybe no carnation street, and you know, maybe I don't yeah. know. I, I, I think uh, our relationship <coughs> as a country with the national broadcaster is something that should be constantly up for conversation because uh, I, I, from you know, I, I don't think soccer fans are happy with their treatment. No, but and it's not just soccer fans. But the, the bottom line to the to it is speaking as a soccer person or whatever the right word is that. It can't be just a, a, a GEA discussion. This one is, but don't forget soccer in in all of these. Don't forget all the other different sports. And um, it's amazing how many people jump up and down when I know I accept it's a national game. It's not something I'm overly interested in, but it's a national game. I shouldn't be turning on the channel all weekend and just seeing that sport. It should be mixed for that reflects the whole society because it yeah. is a state funded yeah. TV and it should reflect society. There's people watching. There's more people watching sport. Or soccer than GEA, I would say to you. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think uh, ancillary to this conversation is the conversation about greyhound racing and the yeah. millions and 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 millions that we've given to greyhound racing uh, over the last. Well, what's decades. good about it is to, to to make the point is we're now on the back of the horse racing discussion that came up on the back of this. Maybe somebody in government might actually realise sport is usually important to Irish people. You know, not just a minister who's and not to be uh, uh, dismissive of the current Minister for Sport we're not just Minister for Sport and something else actually a Minister for Sport dedicated to sport and someone who has a real yeah you know a, a proper department of sport yeah. because it's so I keep saying it is so important to society that we live in the sport whether it's kids playing basketball G, uh, hurling under eights or basketball, ladies football, all of these things. It's so important that um, somebody takes notice of. So maybe it's part of a bigger discussion that needs to be had. Well, but not just throw money at the solution. Uh, you know, there is loads of money floating around, though. Do you know, yeah. and if it was spent properly, um, it would actually have a knock-on impact on on health, on uh, integration, and loads of different things. Well, the advantage, sorry, the last point. The advantage the GEA have is they've now got a, a, an income that has to be replaced if they stop the GA go. So straight away, that's the cynic of me. Mm. Well, GA go already makes a million a year profit, and that was before they had the domestic market the way that they have now. That was just from the um, the international streaming a couple of years ago. Anyway, we're supposed to be talking League of Ireland. Sorry, yep. Quite a week in the League of Ireland too. Oh, yeah, you could say that. I mean, we had a, a brilliant game on, on... Well, it wasn't a brilliant game, brilliant occasion. Palace Stadium is obviously an exceptional stadium. It was... Uh, you have to be careful. It was quite a routine enough 
uh, win for Rovers in the end, but Bowes were very good on the on the day. But um, it wasn't a brilliant game. There was a lack of quality in the final third from both teams. That has to be said. But I mean, Rovers last eight games, I think they've won seven, scored nineteen goals, conceded three. They they're playing exceptional at the moment. But but. Um, um, and and I, I'd like to think on here of wax lyrical about Rovers and Bowes at different stages. So much so, people in Tala have questioned me health. Am I okay? <laughs> right? Being when they nice. hear me going, you're too nice to Rovers. But, and I've defended referees. I just thought Bowes got done on Friday. Um, it wasn't good enough. Uh, it was a very one-sided performance. It was a game of, of fine margins. And so many of the fine margins went against Bohemians. Um I've seen some people debate whether it was a penalty or not. It was just a penalty. You can't... Uh, it was completely out of control. Um, Declan Devine very unhappy afterwards. Yeah, and rightly so. But it's funny, when you're when you're game live... For, so when they scored the first goal, my first reaction, because I'm neutral and I don't have to celebrate the goal, was to look at the linesman. Because my sense was Trevor Clark was offside. Right. And he was offside. Um, and... Um, when you've got a really strong referee, you always find because people are people's question about the penalty decision is why didn't the linesman get involved? And when you've got a really strong referee who's a very senior referee, sometimes you find linesmen don't tend to interfere with, with the senior guy. So I just thought I thought the fine margins went Rovers' way. Um, the first incident in the game was a, a ball over the top of, of Lee Grace, and I felt. Um, Dylan Connolly got in behind him. I, I felt that was an area for for Bowles to exploit. He went shoulder to shoulder with Lee Grace and a free out against Dylan Connolly. And you just, I sat with a couple of people and pointed out this could be a long night for 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 Bowles, and it turned out that way. Yeah, and in fairness to you, even when things weren't going great for Rovers at the start of the season, when they were drawing games, you were like, it's going to happen, and it could happen as quickly as this weekend because Bowles of Derry City at home and Rovers are at UCD. And Rovers will be top more than likely after that. Um, yeah, you would say so. Look, what to be fair to Balls, what they've done all season is when they've lost games, they've bounced back and won. And this would be a huge win for them uh, if if they were to beat Derry this week, a, ho- a home to Derry. Um, Derry's form has just been okay. It's even beating Drogheda the, the other night. They weren't, you know, wasn't an outstanding performance. They're, they're missing some senior players. That will obviously be the excuse, and rightly so. I mean, Cameron Dummigan, Connolly, centre half, uh, Patrick McElhenney is missing. So that that's a huge blow for any team in the league, and probably only Rovers could deal with that. But um, they go to they go to Bowls this week, who have who have been good in Daily Mount, have always bounced back. So there's a big lesson to be learning um, this weekend because it it's an interesting it's for. For, so people understand the European clubs will have a weekend off later in the season so to allow for that the four of them will play each other on Monday so Derry will play Dundalk and Rovers will play St Pat's so the four of them in Europe to give them breathing space later on the season so it's a it's a big weekend for um, for Derry to play a good Dundalk team that are in form and bowls away so um, it could be a good weekend for bowls or for Rovers should I say Um one of the things there about Bowes and uh, coming back, it's really important that they don't allow this just to peter out, that this wasn't just a, a surge at the start of the season. They need to make sure that, you know, like a little bit like Arsenal in recent weeks where there was a blip, but then they recover from it and they keep the pressure up on Rovers because otherwise Rovers could open up a gap over the next few weeks and very hard to claw that back. Yeah, and I think I think to be fair, um, the, 
Bowes have got to ride that sort of wave of momentum, the feel-good factor around their team, the dressing room, um, the way they've you know they played well at different stages. But even when they haven't played well, they've won games. So, um, they, and I think getting to the window for them is important. I feel they've got the finance in place to be able to strengthen uh, that team and, and push on. Um, securing European football, I think, would be a marvelous achievement for them. Um, they have been, they've lost the last two Dublin derbies to Rovers and been sort of, albeit the game went against them through the night, they've lost both of them 2-0 and Rovers, in their view, would say they're comfortably ahead of them. So if Bowles are going to be the nearest challengers, then they've got to stay on their coattails and get to the window and, and see can they sign some, some players. Um, James McLean joining Derry, if that did happen, would be brilliant for the league, right? Mm-hmm. Would he still get in the Ireland squad? Because he still merits a place at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't see that happening. Um, Which bit? Him coming now? I don't think he'll ha- it'll happen now. Could be wrong. And uh, I think he. I th- I would say he will lose his place in the Ireland squad if he if he goes to Derry. Right. And I think he'd be aware of that, and he, he'd probably get one more year. I would say a championship. Now, look, we c- I could come out of the studio today, and he signs for Derry. I have no information. I I was actually in the hotel in, on Friday, and the Derry squad walked in, chatting to the guys, and obviously a lot of close friends in Derry. I've no information on that, but I just don't see it happening. Okay. Um. So I think he'll take another year with his international place mm. being important to him. Bit of managerial um, turnover in the in the league in the last couple of weeks. Tim Clancy gone from Pats. John Daly winning start as interim manager, and then you see Cork City looking for applications to replace Colin Healy as well. Do your ears prick up when you hear of a managerial vacancy pop up? Yeah, um, not not to a- not answer your question and not to be all politician about. It. I think it's important to say Tim Clancy's a good example where really harsh when someone leaves League of Ireland football and the pile on now on social media. And different bits and pieces, and Tim's got you know partner and two young kids. I think he's married. I don't know, but but um, the point stands. And remember, <clears throat> when Tim Clancy um, left his job, it was on the six one news, hmm. right? So it's like it, it hurts and it's deep and um, really really hurts. And um, and I, I come off Tim for a second and just give you a little insight. Like most League of Ireland managers, the average wage is probably about forty. Maybe fifty thousand. So obviously people are a little bit higher than that, a little bit less. So you're not walking and and with contracts you may be entitled to six, nine months or whatever. But you're going back to work pretty soon. And it is it's a really difficult life league of Ireland management. It's great, it's brilliant, we all love it and want to do it. But it's not as easy as people think. I remember when I left um the neighbours on the road knew where the car was in the garden. Like it's not, it's it's, and they're only small things. You know, my kids knew they they know they're re- like it's not, as I said, it was on the six one news like as part of the bulletin, and you still have to earn money. And the problem where I've only since I've left, I've only applied for one job since I've left Dundalk, and in that time, I pulled out that job halfway through the process because it became. A social media pylon, and remember, you're probably working somewhere else. I mean, what do you mean social media pylon? Like? As in, um, once these jobs, once they're not replacing managers very quickly, then that allows Billy one two three four say, mm. Billy Pratt hasn't clue what he's doing. Sure, it was only Stephen Kenny's team or whatever, or whatever it is that they'll, they'll say about Clancy or about Heal, Colin Healy at the moment. So. Um, 
the club should make quicker decisions, I would feel, and, and get people in and place. And because we live in that world now, it is really, really difficult time for people. And remember, so I still have to put bread on the table in my house. So being linked to another job or being spoken about, you, you'll have a boss ringing you go, are you, are you leaving us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> so when I left Undock the second time, what happened around that same time? Solskjaer walked away with seven million, right? And I walked away with a two-year contract that was deemed null and void. So people need to um, uh, give people a bit of a break and, and we're in and out job. I understand we're all fans and we want the best that I'm here talking about games or people would talk about premiership, but League of Ireland is still in infancy and it's a really difficult place for, for young managers and I really feel for Tim, I think he will be better as a result of it. I know if I do go back in at any stage, I, even the second time I went to Dundalk, I felt it was so much better as a manager. He will be a better manager for it. Um, but that's a long-winded way. I'm not, not answering your mm. question, but you have to understand that people have to provide for the families. And 50, 60, maybe if you're lucky to be on 60,000, once that stops, you've got to go back to work. Like We have people in our league working as postmen. And we have people working in, in different bits and pieces. Mm. So it's a really difficult time when you're, when you're linked to these jobs and different things. Obviously, but it's harder than after you go back to find an employer. It's like, oh, you, so you want to come work for us for three months or six yeah. months or whatever. Um, you hadn't, hadn't really thought of that. Is there, is there a solution to that? That like Obviously, you don't want to just have a carousel of only three or four managers who are ever available for jobs in the League of Ireland. But is there some way that the... Like, if you were thinking about football in Ireland and thinking long term strategically from the FAI's perspective they need more indigenous coaches they need good quality coaches at every level at the academy level in the League of Ireland clubs and the schoolboy clubs and however they make peace there best of luck with that but they also need like young competitive coaches who are getting their opportunities in Ireland and then hopefully going abroad and broadening the pool Um, at the moment it seems you need to have a number of Ireland caps and then you can get part of the Ireland underage setup. Is there a better way of doing that? Maybe that isn't just well. Well, there's no industry in this country for coaches. So, and I think if, when you look at how good they are, if you are, for argument's sake, I would say to you, if you put me, if I'd have been, and and they're different, but if I'd have been an IRFU coach who came out of work, I think I'd be working somewhere. They would. And, and uh, they would find employment for me somewhere, whether that would be Connacht Twenties or be a pathway there, pathway yeah. somewhere to say we need someone who's you know. Remember, Ireland has only produced so far. I think it's less than a hundred uh, pro licensed coaches, and X amount of like some unfortunately passed away, some aren't from even from the country. So there's only a small pool of them people. I think if you. I think there's no industry here. I think people ignore a little bit of experience as well. Look at Sean Dyche. Look at Roy Hodgson at the moment. Look even at Warnock going into save Huddersfield. People ignore that a little bit in terms of it's all about what's new, what's coming true, and sometimes they forget that. But I think I think there's a huge appointment on the way within FEI, the assistant um, um, director of football. Okay, so they appointed Mark Adam. Uh, a couple of years ago and the assistant role is up now and my point about something like that is if that's going to go to someone who has 50, 60, 20, 80 caps no problem once they've earned it 
Yeah. For example, if Damien Duff gets a high-profile job now, he's earned it. He's mm. earned his bloody stripes and he's done his work. But in that role, if, for example, Gerard Bryan at St. Pat's or uh, Shane Robson or Shamrock Rovers or even within the FEI, Will Clark, aren't on a shortlist of four or five people for that role and aren't properly interviewed, that role should be given to people who've done the hard yards and young Irish coaches who have done a huge amount of work. The, you, you look at the players, we've got players in Serie A playing at the moment, produced by St. Pat's, who was led by the Canary director. We've got Gavin Bazuna, who was produced by Shamrock Rovers. So we know what we're doing in the country. But I, I have a big fear that the FEI are going to go down the road of... Um, Appointing people with caps just for the sake of it, and it is sexy, and and it will make good headlines. Ex- such and such player has is involved with this, but make sure they've done the hard yards. And so there's no industry, and it's really, really difficult for people to find a pathway. My own personal experience: I had to come out of it. I had to earn money. Did I do well out of football? Absolutely, but I had to earn money. And then I can't go to an employer, as you said, and say, "Hey." Yeah, you see that stuff they're all talking about in, on social media there. I am applying for that job in the background. Yeah, yeah. And if I, if I get it, I'm just going to walk out the door next Friday because I've yeah. got to go again Friday I'm night. definitely not distracted by it at all. No, and it's, yeah. you know, and, it's, and it's stuff that's in the back of the papers and it's on social media and people hear stuff and the world we live in now. So very difficult for us coaches because there's no industry and people have to um, give, give, give them a little bit of breathing space, a little bit. All that negative stuff, notwithstanding like the the lack of money available for managers um, and the social media pylons, do you have the itch to go back? Oh yeah, I do, absolutely do. And um, um, I, like when I talk about experience, like you look at maybe Allardyce, he, he he probably gives that sort of line of a bad name in terms of the way he went out. <laughs> and I'm trying to be careful how I, I answer this, but um, absolutely do. I like rightly or wrongly, I believe in myself. I've you know, not many people in the last ten years have won a league title in this country. Um, very few are, are, are working. Obviously, Stephen Bradley and someone who certain sections would jump on, John Caulfield, is doing a brilliant job at Galway because it takes a little bit of know-how to win a league and a little bit of ability. And mightn't be the, the sexiest name in the world, but at the same time, um, absolutely have the itch. I'd love to do it, but it may not happen. And I'm okay and I'm comfortable with that. Um, because, you know, I had you had a good innings, and if your time is up, it's up. But no, absolutely interested in it. Love the game. Probably at more football matches than anybody else physically. The last I, I was at three o'clock last week on five o'clock game, and watched the seven o'clock game. So, really, really would love to do it. But it has, it's all about timing, mm-hmm. and it's about context. And um, for example, my daughter sent me a screenshot last week. So I think it must be 125 Emmett Road or must be the address of St. Pat's. But I was seen down there last week. <laughs> but at the same time, I was in Drogheda at a meeting. Right. <laughs> at the same time. So she she was going, are you going back to St. Pat's? And I was going, I'm in Drogheda at a meeting. Like. Yeah. So it's just the world we live in now. So, um, so to answer your question, absolutely believe in myself. I've won a league. I still am the reigning League Cup uh, 
uh, win a manager because you haven't played the competitions. <laughs> in a while, so. That's fair, yeah. 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 Technicalities. Uh, I, I don't know where the trophy is, actually. I must find Dig it out. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Vinny, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us. Uh, OTBAM live with Gillette Lab. Get the ultimate shaver. Your money back. Neon Audition is available now. Some highlights from the OTB Podcast Network available for you today. Graeme Sunis, Kevin Kilban, and Rugby Daily all up for your delectation at the moment. Follow off the ball across our social and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network. After the ads, Michael Moyles and Fiona McHale on Mayo's Senior Women's Connacht Football Championship win against Galway last weekend. During the outbreak, you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of The Football Pod where Paddy James and Tommy talked about Dublin's All-Ireland chances. The Football Pod is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football, Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Check out the hashtag The Toughest for more. You're listening to OTB AM. So the male footballers ended a long wait, seven years for a Connacht title victory when they beat Galway at the weekend. I'm delighted to say manager Michael Moyles and Fiona McHale, one of their players, is with us this morning. Fiona, how were the celebrations after that? Yeah, they were good. Uh, they didn't last too long. Everyone was back to work on either Monday or Tuesday. A few people had exams as well, but we made the most of it on Sunday night anyway. You have to after... A uh, seven-year wait for a Connacht title, you have to make the most of it. Scratching a seven-year itch is one of those great things in any sport. At what point during this season did you start to feel confident that, because uh, obviously you've been there, thereabouts, and some years you've, you've been disappointed, some years you've done really well in the meantime. So was there a point that you can look back on now and go, actually, you know, this feels a little bit different this year. This feels like we're, we're capable of doing it and we have justified belief in ourselves. Yeah, well, I suppose we're with Michael now and the management team. This is our third year, so we have been building. And I suppose even the first two years we were with Michael, you always had that belief, but you have to be realistic as well about where you're at and trying to build a squad and all of that. So I think this year with the league, even though we came out probably the wrong side of the majority of our games, what was really pleasing about the group was that for every training session on the Wednesday after those losses, we may have lost by a point or two points. It was all very close. The group just stayed positive. Everyone just kept their heads up, just kept focused on the next game. And I think that probably has been the most important thing this year. Um, and things just really came together probably a couple of weeks before we went into the Connick final. You were when, wondering when things were going to start to click. Because, you know, you could be working on things at training and wondering is this going well? Is this going right? Um, and you really, you know, you do need a win as well at the end of the day to have that buy into what you're trying to do and all the things that you're working on. So probably just the way the group stuck together through those league games. Um, and we came out the right side, obviously, of our relegation battle against Donegal. And that was obviously so important for confidence and morale within the group as well. Yeah. That game that, that uh, Fiona mentions, Michael, I mean, that Donegal match was back in March. That's the last competitive game you had. Is that is that a tough a test for a, for a manager to and a coaching team as well to come in after such a cold period of, of no no action all of a sudden you're in the Connacht final I know because I think there's plenty of teams around there that are looking for good high level challenges and we had a few of those and and again it gives us a, a time to maybe take a break after the league I know Galway didn't have that same opportunity so we took a week and we kind of reset the girls some of the girls were gone on an all-star trip so it gives a chance to reset there was a lot of things in the league that went very very well for us results-wise didn't. You know, we just came out on the wrong side of it and losing by a point or losing by 10 points is still losing. So, you know, we knew, as Fiona alluded to, that we were close uh, and things were coming good. Um, I suppose for us was 
getting the group together. I think the first year and the second year, there's a big turnover of players and, and like there's a lot going on in ladies football, as you know. Like So it's trying to keep a group together. And then once you do that, it's kind of striving for success. And we feel that we've a, a lot of consistency between last year and this year. And we got a, an opportunity to work on things maybe we did in the previous year. So we were happy enough where we were at the end of the league. Uh, and as Fiona said, just getting over that Donegal game, we got two wins in the league. But it was just the survival in Division One that we we're looking for, and to take the opportunity of the league to to try out a few things and and to to make ourselves a bit better in um, a lot of areas where we needed it. Is one of those challenges holding on to players? I know Rachel Cairns, two-time All Star, had uh, come back in for the for the league campaign from Geelong, and and I guess when you see the likes of Vicky Wall and, and other top players down under, it is tough to hold on to the top players. You can understand why they'd want to go, but at the same time, for the benefit and promotion of the game over here, we want we want to see them stay. Yeah, but look, we can only do what, what, what's what's in front of us. Um, we have a panel of 30 players and, and Rachel is one of the girls that's in Australia that she was with us last year, uh, sustained an injury and had to go back to Australia without playing a game for us. I was deeply disappointed. Um, Rachel loves loves male football as all the girls do, but she put herself forward too and she's been with us from the start of the year and I think that's important. Um, it's a tough gig for the Australian girls. It's It's a different ball game. Um, and when they come back, it takes a bit of time to get back into Gaelic football. But like we bully back all the male players are in Australia. Um, but for us, we need to concentrate on, on what's here. Like and, and like, you know, I suppose the commentary around for my first two years anyway was about the people people that were missing. And that's I suppose one of our remits is to make sure they're talking about the players that are here. Fiona, we were chatting to James Tracy, the former Leinster player on the on the show. He was in the studio earlier, uh, and he was talking about the word hatred when it came to the relationship between Leinster and Munster. Um, you've had this rivalry with Galway now in Connacht, and, and of course they were chasing. I think it was five in a row this year, so they've had a little bit of dominance in Connacht. But is there a, a bit of spiciness in that fixture? A, a good spiciness, one that kind of gets gets everyone up for the match, I suppose. Yeah, there always is, and it's been really very much ourselves in Galway over the last probably decade because every so often you might have Sligo or Eskamen or Leitrim who might come up to senior level but that fixture is there and it's been consistent every single year and really Galway have gotten the right side of it more often than not but yeah we like they're the same as us like that rival is strong but it's 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 a respectful rival at the same time but yeah we do we do enjoy playing each other so um, and I'm sure there's some of the chance we could end up playing each other again, no doubt, at some other stage in the season this year too. So, when when you look at the game of the weekend, seven point victory, so it looks reasonably comfortable on paper. But that second half performance in particular, I think you outscored Galway by two six to one one in the second half. So that must be quite pleasing, Fiona, as well to to, to be able to push on in the second half when things get a little bit tight and testy. Yeah, and there's been like certain games this year where we've probably had shaky starts and we had a really good start. That was probably one of the factors in winning the game for us was we got 1-3 um, on the scoreboard. And what was also pleasing for us was that Galway came back at us and they went ahead at half time, and there was no panic within the group. You could just really sense that calmness that, OK, Galway've got a point ahead, but we know what our plan is, we know what we have to do. And the second half then, you know, you always need a bit of a, the rub of the green too um, to get over the line. But I think just the squad that we have and the fact that, you know, two of our subs, Sean Howley and Sinead Walsh came on and in that final quarter, I think between the two of them, they got they got one three and probably contributed to the penalty too. So between the two of them, two three of that two six. Um, so it just showed the importance of the depth in our squad as well. So I just really think having that depth, but also 
just the girls being calm around go we come back at us because it was literally it was we went up then they went up then we went up and then they got that goal in the second half as well it was a real turning point but the decisive thing for us really was the penalty and Rachel slotted that really well and that really just set us up then nicely for the last 10 minutes Michael, can we zoom out a little bit to the, the general championship? Um, over the last couple of years, obviously, being involved with Mayo, uh, you know, you, you've got to start local and, and try and win Connacht. But haven't seen just how quickly a team can come together and actually go and win the ultimate prize. Has that been an inspiration? Has it been a bit annoying that uh, Mead were able to kind of come from nowhere and, and do that so quickly? How do you, how do you feel about the, the level of competitiveness that's there and the opportunity that that represents for you guys? I don't think Mead came from their own place. I think there was a lot of work at underage and had underage success with a lot of those players, but like good structures and they had a lot of momentum coming in, I suppose, winning an intermediate and winning a division two. And, and that's great. It's great for the game. You can see Kerry going from stride to stride and it shows the work that's going on within those counties. For us, it's, I suppose, it's an inspiration because it's it shows how much um, preparation and momentum can carry you forward. And, and that's, I suppose, one of our goals this year was definitely the Connacht title because in a two-horse race, it, it should never be a one-sided affair. It should be, never be a monopoly. So, look, that's going to help us. We feel that will help us, and that's why we put major emphasis, maybe more so than Galway, on the Connacht title. Um, so we feel that momentum can bring us forward into the all Ireland series. But like I think teams are very levelled off now at the moment. I know Kerry probably at the moment are a step above everybody else who seem to be, but I think that will level off again and it will come down to on the day with an awful lot of these games. And that's exciting for the LGFA and it's exciting for the championship that you have so many teams that have the potential to win the all Ireland. That helps, doesn't it? When a team like me comes along, I'd imagine, Michael, that, that it gives everyone, everyone a, not a lift, because you don't want to see any other county winning by, by your own, but when you see a team come, as you say, it's not from nowhere, it was built up over a number of years, but a new, a new face lifting the trophy, it kind of gives everyone a little bit of motivation. Yeah, well, the dominance was there between like Cork and Dublin were sharing it over. You know, Cork for 10 odd years were, were winning, and then Dublin came and had their monopoly for a while. But, you know, somebody new to come in and, and come in, as you said, virtually kind of from no place and, 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 and win it, and then put back to back. And they're not going away. You know, I know they've tried a lot of new players during the league. Then you have Cork, who are an excellent team. You know, you can see that at the weekend. Uh, Dublin are still there so look there's a lot of teams that have the potential and would feel that they have the capabilities to win this championship and, and would be going into it full-heartedly so like it's exciting it's it's good to see and it's it's great for the LGFA to have that competition You'd have cut your teeth Michael with um, I think at club level you would have uh, if I'm not mistaken played with the likes of Stephen Rochford and Kieran McDonald who've both gone into coaching themselves and you'd have played under Martin McHugh and, and John Mahon at county level as well like, do you, have you picked up d- little bits and bobs over the years from different coaches or are you very much your own coach or is it a case of uh, taking everything on board from, from what you've experienced in your own career No absolutely always taking something on from everybody like as you say like Martin McHugh was with us in IT Sligo and it was the time that back in the day when you'd had the quarter final semi final and final three days in a row so mm-hmm. our training sessions were 7 o'clock in the evening 7 o'clock in the morning 7 o'clock in the evening 7 o'clock in the <laughs> morning like so he, um, he he was terror and like you know again you've got John Mahan Pat Holmes like you always got great coaches when I was playing but even now like our coaching staff that we have in with the ladies and the thoroughly deserve that level of preparation are very good and there's constant communication so we're always learning and you know the, the men are very good to us as well we can pick their brains just on little bits and pieces the ladies is a, is a game apart like and a lot of us came from the men's game so maybe it took a while to uh, just 
find out little bits and pieces of adv- advantages there. Like I think the kickout is very important, and we've Michal Slingerman in there. Uh, League of Ireland goalkeeper played for Mayo, and, and he's excellent. Like you know, so those little bits and pieces we're always picking up, and we learn lessons in all our games. Like we played Mead last year in the league semi final, we played Dublin on a number of occasions, and you're always picking up bits and bits and pieces. But it's just bringing them in and making them your own is is important, and, and we're we're coming around to that kind of area now where our development is at the stage where we're we're happy. We probably weren't happy with a lot of aspects of the Galway game. We went one three up and made a few mistakes and let them back into the game. And in the second half, even that goal was very, very preventable. I know they only scored one one, but it, it's bits and pieces like that that we have to clean up if we're going to be on all All Ireland contenders or if we want to step up to another level. We have to start cleaning more of those mistakes up. I know it's hard to quantify it, Fiona, but from a player's perspective, as as Michael mentions, the kickouts, little things like that, like working with Michal Schlingerman in, in, in training, and I know Galway would have squeezed your kickouts for large portions of that game at the weekend, and you had a press, I think, on, on Galway's kickouts for for a large portion of theirs. So how important is it, when you're in the the, the heat of battle, you're, you're, that you're thinking back to little moments in training and little pointers and, and coping with things and that you've already prepared for, I guess? Yeah, exactly. And there'd be a lot of the times of teams where you might work on kickouts, you know, the training session before a game or you might be working on a particular kickout and it's not enough to just spend maybe two training sessions on something. And this is something that we've really focused on this year, um, that it's something that you can really go after and get a lot of impact from, especially even on the defensive kickout side of things too. Like we've been on the, the wrong end of of maybe high press for me last year, as Michael said, we, we've learned a lot from playing some of these big teams. Um, but you have to you have to be working on it continuously across the year. And you know we we have particular focuses on certain aspects of the game, and then in a few weeks later you might revisit it, realizing that you need to spend more time on it. So, but um, as Michael alluded to, there having um, Michal Schengerman in there has been. It's been amazing for us because like I've learned so much from him. I just he's 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 an outstanding coach. Um just even the way he works with everyone, how he how he deals with the players and just all the little tiny things that you wouldn't even think of. So he's been invaluable within the squad this year. Fiona had mentioned there the, the strength and depth, Michael, a couple of minutes ago and, and I think I'm right in saying in that Donegal uh, do or die relegation decider you made seventeen substitutions in total across the hour, which kinda pinpoints just how much talent there is in that squad can it be difficult having so much talent I know it's a good problem to have but from your perspective you have a lot of decisions to make yeah and it can be frustrating for the girls I suppose because the league turned out the way it was and we were in a lot of tight games and and we didn't get to give as many game time as we would have wanted Um, so you know that's what I, we were kind of alluded at at the very start that we wanted to get a squad together, a good, strong squad, girls that wanted to play for Mayo, uh, keep them together and then start to strive for success. And I think we have that now. It can be frustrating for girls. Like we have some serious talent that didn't come off the bench on Sunday. And like, you know, they will have an opportunity again. Um, but we need that because even if we look at last year, we played Cavan in a championship game. Um, last year and, and Saoirse Lally and Ailish run, in, run into each other one had a broken collarbone the other one dislocated her elbow you know two girls were out straight away 10 minutes into a championship game and, and Saoirse Lally didn't play again for the rest of the year for us Roisin Flynn came in and had a superb um, championship after that like so 
you know, it can be difficult to make decisions and there's very little between players, but like it gives us the opportunity, depending on who we're playing or the style that we're playing against or what we need, that we can kind of be a bit more diverse because the last two years we've got to all our semi-finals and there's been a weak turnaround. We bet Galway two years ago in a quarter-final and we played Dublin and Dublin blew us out of the water in the first 10 minutes. Now we were competitive after that, but the game was over. Again, we bet Cork last year, played Kerry, two different styles, and we were we didn't adapt. You know, in within the week we weren't able to turn around what we needed to do. So now we have that in our panel where we can choose different girls for different games, and and that's a brilliant, brilliant weapon to have. How how has your game adapted and changed over the years, Fiona? Because that that kind of half-back role has certainly moved on and, and even look in your, in your own county, the likes of Lee Keegan and Keith Higgins over the years, uh, Paddy Durkin in the men's side of things. like it, It's a position that's constantly evolving and changing, but I'm sure you've had to move along with it. In conversation as those three guys <laughs> from a half-back perspective, but um, yeah, the game has overall the game has completely changed it's it's evolving all the time but you see that in the men's game as well and I know there's frustrations around the men's game at the moment with oh it's really boring it's very predictable but that's just the way it is next year there'll be other tactics and the game will evolve again but um, yeah it's it's probably gotten more physical and that's been a, a big talking point this year around the physicality and what you're allow- allowed to do or not allowed to do and refs are really clamping down on the tackle and the charge rule is probably something that was a real talking point too and I think in fairness to the referees that was a big talking point across the league but they have it's like as, as if they've reevaluated and they have listened to maybe what's been said from from players and um, managers in the media that's what it, it appears to be because it hasn't been as much of a talking point over the last probably towards the latter end of the, the league and even in the championship so far um, I won't speak too soon, but it was a first. It is a frustrating rule, and it's just frustrating how they how it has been interpreted. But I think referees are, are changing their mindset around that. Um, but overall, the physicality um, has has moved on a lot, and I know that they are look. You know, there has been motions put across around changing the rules or adding that little bit more physicality. And where do you draw the line? So, watch this space. Things could change over the next couple of years, but. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm getting a bit older too as well, so you have to change your style for that as well. <laughs> it, uh, it comes for all of us, unfortunately. Fiona, thanks a million to both of you for joining us this morning and congratulations on the uh, Connacht final victory. Best of luck with the rest of the season, folks. Cheers. Thanks, thanks very much. much. It's uh, Fiona McHale and Michael Moyes there celebrating their victory at the weekend. Now, on tomorrow's show, Shane and Johnny Ward are here with Willa Callahan's Hurling Power Rankings. Ooh. Uh, former Munster prop John Ryan, who of course is going to be a future Munster prop as well, but he's currently uh, propping down in New Zealand. It's an incredible story, and he's got to come back, you know, as another one of those potential future coaches if uh, that's of interest to him. We'll have more on the Kildare Camogie story that broke this week, the return of JD in studio, plus plenty more, including Champions League reaction from the Milan derby. Uh, a couple of comments for you. We struggled to get League of Ireland Premier Division games on TV on a Friday night and now pushed by TDs to get more GA on free to air because it makes them look good. It's a small space with a lack of stations. Uh, I, so I, I think just to, to clarify, I, the GA are absolutely entitled and should have an over-the-top platform to showcase their games. There is a set number of games which... The, uh, the country has decided is is worth putting uh, on free to air, and maybe the conversation needs to be added, uh, opened up about that. I'm not against pay per view, uh, like the Satanta were the first ones to turn those Saturday night games. 
into something good and meaningful and they became Air Air obviously then sold some of those Saturday night games as their package as they stopped broadcasting to RTE on Saturday nights and now RTE have come and decided that they want to be the only buyer in the market and they had the advantage of not having to make commercial revenue because they are funded by the taxpayer and so that skews the game and as a result now they're the only buyer is that a good situation for the GAA to find themselves in maybe it is because they can just choose whatever they want as the price or maybe it's a good position for RTE to be in because then they could say well who else are you going to sell to and we're going to get full value we're going to extract full value for our tax dollars but instead what they've done is they've got into bed with them and now they're their mates and it's like what's the price well that's the price okay that's fair enough well that's the price we're paying over here so that's the price that doesn't really seem like good business to me now, maybe somebody's going to come along with a genius explanation for how they've got a really brilliant rights deal here. And maybe RT is making money this year. That we, you know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they've become a really well-run organisation and they're making lots of money. I don't know. Maybe they can afford it. Um, There's a lot of elements. Like the, the, even the, what Alan Dillon was saying earlier, that those 15 games that they have choice, to, to, choice over... Uh, he was talking about that should be scrutinised I'd love to see the decision making process I don't know can they be transparent with that I'd love to see how they come to the decision as to which games they picked but behind a paywall yeah I I, I, I suspect that GEA Go is not under freedom of information um, mm. but uh, it doesn't make any sense for me how you can be the head of the sports department in one organisation and on the board of another organisation who should actually be competing with each other yeah no, that that's absolutely fair. Look, this five-year deal, as we said earlier, that like Declan McBennett was quite happy to review it at the end of this year. I think he, well, not happy. That's probably the wrong word to use, but I think it should be reviewed once this championship's over. Over for sure. He's, uh, absolutely, he was pushing that, and that's not going to yeah. happen. Well, sorry, I, I don't think he was happy to review. No, it at sorry, all. Not, not happy. Yes, I will listen to your question, and I will say something, and then at the end of this, this will all go away. We'll, yeah, we'll we'll be finished. There was no like, but uh, it's not going to go away, so it has to be reviewed. Uh, I think it'll only it. Uh, it's only going to ratchet up over the next couple of weeks, but it'll only like I am. I hate politicians getting involved in sport because they're only doing it for their own ends, right? So, but once you accept that, they do legitimately have the ability to ask questions. The public accounts committee can ask questions about whether or not the taxpayer is getting mm. value for money. There's a media committee. They're like, yeah, we could actually ask some questions here. We'll get, get your shit together and do it. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Uh, seems to be all very cosy between GA and RTE, says John O'Brien. No other broadcaster in the running show games. Shame on them when you consider the lives of the older generation over the last few years. Can we also call to light how people in the North have been geoblocked from watching RTE matches on TV or the RTE player for years and no solution has ever been found by RTE, says PWGC. That, that's a farce, by the way. People in the North not being able to watch a 32 county game. It's a farce. So I don't know what the solution is. That's well, I mean, it's pretty easy. Just invest in the technology, make the technology work. 100%. Just make the technology work. Like, I'm sorry, but if you're going to do this, it's going to be cost to it. But the thing is, it actually suits the GA because then they can charge uh, the BBC uh, yeah. for the rights as well. Uh, I agree with Alan Dillon. Next thing, they'll be putting water behind a paywall, says Nigel Gallagher. Well, they tried that, Nigel. But uh, <laughs> it turns out you, c- you can't do that, Nigel. Even though, like, water, you know, maybe, maybe we should all pay a little bit for some water so that, like, we actually treat it like the resource that it is. I don't know. I mean, I realise it's controversial. <laughs> maybe maybe if we valued this ship, we wouldn't be like wasting it the whole time. Mm. It's true. I I you know, uh, it's radical here. That's a bigger problem, killing our planet. Yeah, lads. Sure. Ireland literally has some of the best internet coverage in the world. This poor broadband rubbish is anecdotal, says the Francie Brady. I don't know if we do. Uh, we don't know if we do. Well, uh, in rural areas, like, um, I mean, is there not a combination between phone and is everywhere not 
can you not get something everywhere that you'd actually be able to stream? I don't know. I, when I'm in my granny's house, uh, which is in North Monaghan, very close to the border with, with Tyrone near Ochnacloy, like t- to say that you can't get a connection properly is... Well, is that just on your provider? I'm sure there is another provider who might have amassed... Maybe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So the house that we used to live in, there was only one provider that worked, so we just moved to that provider and it worked fine. Yeah. So look around, shop around is what you're saying. Well, I, you know, I, I, there are, I'm sure there are pockets. There are definitely pockets where you can't get stuff. But mm. most places now you can get something that will be sufficient. Um, I do understand. I, I still don't understand why they, why they got into bed in the first place for this part of the deal. Like, why, why do the GA need RTE? Mm. It can't be for the technology of their player. Like, nobody thinks the RTE player is good. Do they? <laughs> I don't think there's one. I'd person say the RT player's ma doesn't think the RT player is any good. <laughs> uh, to have GA go, people need to have Wi-Fi, which isn't cheap either, and broadband can be very up and down. So shifty lad, put the big games on RT, TG Car, and Virgin, and all other games on GA Go. Says Alan O'Neill. The GA should keep games free to watch on TV for Ireland-based viewers, and keep all games behind a paywall online for viewers abroad at a premium. Yeah, uh, we forced people to leave because they couldn't afford to live here, and now we're screwing them mm. for doing it. That sounds like a good plan, Muller Bay. It's uh, going to ratchet up, as, as you say, when the football championship kicks off now and you have those massive games in a couple of weeks behind the paywall, then they, like, you've got then you've pissed off Gaelic football fans as well as Ireland fans. Uh, equal opportunity pisser offer, <laughs> I believe, is the... Uh, Shane says, how would the GA fans feel about one live game every two or three weeks instead? Because that's how many League of Ireland games are shown on RTE. Loads more comments coming in. You can get involved on the YouTube comments. Um... Some of the coverage over the last few days is actually dividing, hurting in football. Is this the beginning of a split? Asks Danny Mac one. Oh, I don't know. Maybe a split is exactly what they need. Maybe we need individual, like a, a, a Sarah Dunham's idea for a hurling president. Like mm. the director of hurling job was there and doesn't seem to be there at the moment. It was like, ah, this is working or not working. I don't know. We, we should uh, do a bit of digging on that. And uh, Michael says, I'm shilling for Ireland, not for the GEA, because he was giving out about uh, Alan Dillon advocating Sky over the over GEA Go. Uh, I don't think he was actually advocating Sky over GEA Go. He's questioning the transparency of the decision-making process. Like, RTE are in the business of trying to get the most stuff available for the most people on one side, but they're also involved in this commercial organisation whose job it is to exploit the GEA rights that they have mm. like, and, and that's the whole point of that organisation and that's totally within their remit that's what they're supposed to be doing but how do you wear these two hats you can't it's a, it's a clear conflict of interest uh, right uh, Stephanie Roach uh, now Stephanie Zambra has been chatting with our own Kathleen McNamee as we uh, begin the build up to the World Cup have a wonderful Wednesday I am delighted to be joined by Republic of Ireland footballer and ambassador Stephanie Roach, who is unveiling a unique collaboration between Carlsberg 00, the FAI and the Square Ball in Dublin. The gig, Ireland's first women's sports bar to celebrate the girls in green. The women's national team became the first ever side to qualify for the FIFA Women's World Cup last year. However, 67% of people believe that there would be more hype if it were the men who qualified for a World Cup, revealed research from iReach Insights, commissioned by Carlsberg 00. Could we be doing better? 
probably, or most likely, I would say. Uh, for more details, keep an eye on the Square Ball website and Carlsberg Social. So, Stephanie, it's great to have you here. Um, I know it's possibly been a bit of a strange couple of weeks for you. With You've been out with injury, but how have you enjoyed watching the Shamrock Rovers team do quite well for their first season in the league? Yeah, it's it started quite well. Um, I think it's good because we got a lot of positive results without really kind of hitting our full flow yet, you know. So um, it's been obviously unfortunate being out with the injury. I got injured uh, in our second game against Treaty. So hoping to get myself back as fit as possible. Um, I hit the eight-week mark on Saturday and did a lot of rehab work with Rovers. Um, they're looking after me really well, which is good. Um, they obviously have uh, a lot of, uh, I suppose, kind of, experience in the injury too the injury is a hamstring injury a tear on my kind of tendons on the T-junction which uh, Neil Farouge I think had an issue with it as well so they've kind of they've learned all the things to do so hopefully that'll help me get back a little bit quicker <laughs> It sounds like you're in the right spot anyways if yeah. you are going to have that injury are you at the stage where you know you're back on the pitch in training sessions and stuff or are you still kind of rehabbing to yourself? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting one because I've been able to actually do quite a lot of kind of running and stuff on it. Um, I've been able to kind of do a lot of kind of 70% type of stuff. I've yet to kind of get back to my full stride in terms of a sprint. Um, but I joined back in training on Friday just in terms of kind of doing the pass and drill, the warm-up um, and kind of being like a floater in the games of possession and stuff like that. So I'm definitely making progress and getting there. Um, I have an ultrasound on Friday just to check on how it's healing and, and where we're at in terms of being able to get to a more 90% sprint and run. So that's kind of next on the agenda now is to get myself ready for that. And yeah, hopefully I'll be back on the pitch as soon as possible because definitely missing it. And as I said, the girls are doing really well at the minute. So I want to get back in there and, and hopefully play my part. Yeah, because so for anyone who hasn't been following along, you guys so far have won five, drawn three games and lost none, which is always the sort of start that you want. And I think probably since a lot of the names that were familiar that were going to Rovers to people, there was an expectation that, you know, the team would be able to perform well in the league, but also not knowing when an outfit hasn't played together ever before, how it was going to be. Is this kind of the sort of place that you guys hoped to be at at this stage of the season? I mean, you're only a point behind Galway and P-Mount are in first and second place respectively. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, Obviously, there's a lot of moving parts um, that we need to bring together. I think, as I said already, I think we've done reasonably well considering we haven't really hit full flow yet. And I think um, a lot of different players from different clubs coming in. Um, obviously, as I said, very talented players, but it's getting that group to work together and, and play the style of play that Rovers want to play. Um, but I think we've done really well so far. As I said, I think um, the promising thing is, is that we're, we're picking up good results without really playing to our best potential just yet. You know, as I said, it's going to take time for it to click and, and different players to get used to playing with each other. And, and as I said, the way Rovers want to play is very high intensity and we want to keep the ball and play a good style of football. So we're getting there. Um, obviously, there's been a couple of results where um, we, we don't want to be drawing games. We want to be going in and winning, you know. So then hopefully uh, the, the wins will come uh, as the season goes on. But definitely it's been a promising start and still a lot to come. Well, you talk about drawing games. One of the big ones was that matchup against P-Mount and I host the Koi Gig podcast with Karen Duggan and she was uh, particularly upset after that. I know she had her own woes on the pitch that day. What was it like for you as I was watching that game? You do have your history with P-Mount as well and there's a there's a good rivalry, I think, being built between the two sides, even if this is just Shamrock Rovers' first uh, year in the league. 
Yeah, look, I think obviously I know Karen really well. Um, and it was a strange one when she stepped up to take the penalty because obviously being our teammate for so many years, you never want to see her missing the penalty, but with it being against us, you're hoping that Amanda will save it. Um, and thankfully she did. But yeah, no, look, Karen's a solid player and been unbelievable for, for a female over the years. So um, it was disappointing for her. But obviously I think the way the game panned out, um, I don't think we performed to the highest level we know we can. and um, we, were, we were poor at times. Um, but I think every player now, as I said, there's still a lot more to come from the team and to get a draw away to females, who are a very good team, um, was was a decent result. Um, but definitely um, new rivalries being built in the league. Um, obviously, as you said, a few players have come from different clubs to go to Rovers. So a lot of clubs probably aren't happy with Rovers as a club, you know, they're losing some of their players to them. So that's that's natural. It's, it's football, it's how it works. And um, I think we as players um, expect that a little bit. But at the same time, Rovers is who we're with now, and that's the club that we have to to represent and do well for. So it's about just trying to pick up the best results as we go. And obviously, we play Piedmont in Tallis Stadium um, in a couple of months now. So the next month, what month are we in now? Jesus. So <laughs> have that return fixture coming up too. So it'll be a, a a great game again. I hope. Yeah, I did enjoy chatting to Emma Byrne about the players that were moving about, and I think it's probably because so many players didn't move at once before in the league because people tended to stick around either where they lived or where they were working or whatever it might be. And she was like, sure, that's just football. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. This is this is what we want for the league. We want like clubs to be competitive with each other and kind of pulling the best players all around the place because that means that, you know, there's a capacity to do that. And that's what comes with professionalism or semi-professionalism. Um, it's at loan for you guys at the weekend who were very much the surprise package to a lot of people last week or last year. How are, is the team kind of feeling and shaping up heading into that one? Yeah, again, another another club who I think have, have come on in leaps and bounds. Obviously, kind of recently new to the league in terms of, uh, obviously the league is what, 10 years old now, so or longer, just longer, isn't it? Yeah, so they've come in um, a couple of years. I think last season they really showed that they could challenge. Um, they're a very difficult team to play against. They made the game hard. Um, very good defensively. And they also have some exciting talent going forward. Obviously, Chloe Singleton coming in from Galway as well. Very good attacking player. And they've loads of threats all over the pitch. Um, but again, it's going to be a competitive, hard-fought game. And yeah, we're just preparing the best way we can to get down there and get a result. Um, and yeah, it's going to be another good game. I think as you said, as Emma said, I think the, the fact that players are moving around the league, it shows that the, the, the league has become more professional. And um, I think you can see that in in the games. I think the games have been really good. You know, any game I go to watch or I watch on LOI TV have been very, very entertaining. And that's a, a credit to the league and a credit to the players within the league and the clubs that are putting the work in to make sure there's a, a level maintained within the league and, and hopefully it can keep progressing and, and get better and better. But yeah, big game against that loan. And as I said, we're taking each game as it comes. We're doing our best to try and Suppose to hit the form that we want to hit because the standards are high at Shamrock Rovers, obviously. Um, so hopefully we can get a win and push on to the next game. That's interesting because there is almost that push and pull where there are clubs in the league who are prepared and able to make that move into professionalism a little bit more, such as Shamrock Rovers. That was like the whole thing that they said when they started up that they wanted to, you know, have a bar and make that the bar that people had to live up with. Or even you look at Sligo Rovers, not so much on the professionalism side, but when they were first starting up their women's team, they said we wanted to get our underage setups correct first so that we had that pipeline. And I think the it seems anyways from, you know, someone who watches the league and follows the league that 
a lot of clubs are trying to learn the lessons of maybe what went wrong for some of the League of Ireland men's side of clubs when they were making that transition and avoiding those potholes if possible. Is that something that you feel from inside the league as well? Yeah, of course. I think it's important for clubs to to do it the right way. It has to be sustainable. It has to be, I suppose, you have to have a flow of players coming through. Um, As I said before, we have at Rovers a mix of kind of experienced players who have come in from other clubs, but we also have very good underage players who came through the underage setup at Rovers too. So um, it's important that teams have that. Um, I think it's important that it's not just kind of a senior team. I think it's important to have like a whole club behind it, you know, so... I think definitely teams who are doing that, the likes of Sligo. Um, I know Bray are doing that as well in terms of their under-17s and their 19s and the hope then is to go and have a senior team as well in the future. So look, hopefully more and more teams can get involved. So I think um, it's important to kind of have that link between the the men's teams and the women's teams as well because that creates an atmosphere, it creates fan base. You know, I think um, we've had good um, numbers coming to all of our games and I think that's because we have a team like uh, the men's team and Rovers doing really well. So a lot of their fans are hoping to get behind the women's team as well. So, yeah, I definitely think there has to be um, a foundation to, to what they want to do going forward. And it has to be sustainable, as I said. So um, having that, um, I suppose, uh, come through of players as such from the underage system into the senior team is, is going to be important for clubs going forward. And look, I just want to see the team or the, or the league progressing. I want to be more professional. I think we've, we've been crying out for kind of a more semi-professional uh, league over a number of years. And obviously, I know you said for some clubs, it's easier than others. Um, everybody needs to help, help and hand to get there. Um, but hopefully, as I said, the, the league will keep progressing and, and clubs can continue to, to do the good work they're doing to make um, the league better and better. Definitely. And like for you, what does those, what do those next steps look like? Because I know there was a lot of progress made this year and there was certain, you know, things put in place to make sure that like clubs were able to give players semi-professional, professional, amateur, whatever it might be contracts and to make sure that the, I suppose the, the systems were right for you. What, what are the next steps over the next, however many years? I mean, it's kind of an open-ended question because you could achieve it in three years or it might take 10 years as well, depending on how quickly everyone in the league can get up to speed. Yeah, I think you can take probably, um, you can look at other leagues across the world who have tried to do it, um, ones that have worked and ones that haven't worked. Um, I think financially, um, there needs to be money put into it. Obviously, where's that going to come from is the question. Um, obviously, the girls qualifying for the World Cup will, will be good for the league overall in terms of financial gain, in terms of being able to to financially kind of support the teams and give them what they need. Um, I think it just has to be done the right way. Obviously, look, there's there's more kind of suppose intelligent people around the, the league that, that can kind of think of what might work and how it might work but for me as a player um, and I think it's funny you, you mentioned Emma there like when players are moving around she's like oh well, that's what happens in professional football whereas I think some people's reaction to players moving to Rovers was like for me I was looking kind of going like I don't understand why there's such an uproar about it obviously there's just club blues and good players and obviously players going from shells to rover shells obviously have a, a good history in terms of men's football as well but I think that's how professional football works you know and I think there's got to be a mindset that players have to do what's best for them as players you know it's a World Cup year and do you want to be going to a club if you're going abroad do you want to go where you're training five nights a week and have the best facilities to get yourself in the best uh, shape possible or do you want to be training with your friends twice a week and having fun, you know, that's kind of what you have to think about. It's it's about making things more professional. It's about it being about football and about progressing as a footballer. And 
I think that's kind of, I suppose, the shift in mentality that has to happen within the league here for it to to reach the potential that it can reach. And as you say, it does kind of add to the bite and the spice of games a little bit as well. You know, if someone's looking at, say, you playing against P-Mount and you're saying you, know, you watch Karen step up there taking a penalty and you're trying to, like, change your mind to, okay, not on the same team anymore. You know, all that adds to it and adds to the storylines. And if you're a more casual fan, it entices you in as well. So there are so many benefits that do come with a more fluid league, I suppose is the best way to put it. Um I want to ask you, you mentioned the national team a couple of times here. This weekend marks the 50th anniversary of the women's national team existing in Ireland. And I had the pleasure of interviewing some of the original team on Friday and um, when they were being honoured. And it was, a, it was a lovely event and like full credit to the FAI. They really pulled out all the stops to make those women feel like their contribution was important, which it was. Um, what I want to ask you, because it was funny, I was having talking to a lot of them and they were like, gosh, we never imagined we'd be here. We never imagined the girls would be going to a World Cup. It's amazing. And I know even you said before in your career coming, you know, 30, 40 years later that you never imagined that there would be professionalism or reaching a World Cup. And it shows, I suppose, how far we actually have come in the last 10 years or so as a squad. Yeah, and I think even as you said, it's, it's the shift in mentality because, as you said, then women who played that game 50 years ago probably never thought it would come. But even 10 years ago, you were probably looking and going, oh, I don't know how close we are to getting there, you know. Um, I think it's just the professionalism that's come into the, to the women's team over the last number of years. It's been clear to see. I think you can see all of the players are fit, they're strong, they're technically and tactically aware of what's needed to win games. And I think... Um, it's just brilliant to see us being able to compete at that level. Um, I remember being at the game in Scotland, um, and as you mentioned, I keep mentioning Emma now, she's, she was there obviously doing a bit of work for yourselves, and I was there with RTE, and we seen each other after the game, and like, it was just like, it was an emotional thing, it was just like, Jesus Christ, we'd actually qualify for a World Cup, and like both just genuinely happy to see it finally happen, you know, and I think anyone who's ever been involved in, in football, in the women's game here in Ireland, I think will feel the same way, it's just... It's a huge step for the, for the game. It's a huge step for anyone who's ever been involved, who's volunteered and given their time over the years to finally see us make that breakthrough is, is really, really special. And I just hope it's the first of many major tournaments. And um, I think it will be. I think the team has made huge strides forward. And for me, I, I always say this and I feel like I'm probably repeating myself, but I have to keep progressing it has to be it can't just be set up for what what we have we have to keep on moving with the with the other countries and with our nations and the other leagues that are moving forward we have to keep doing that as well because I think from my experience playing abroad in professional leagues the only difference is this professionalism because the players are here we have some fantastically talented players across the board in the Women's National League and obviously you've seen in the international setup over the years but it was just that kind of final hurdle that we were missing and I think that's finally can't come with uh, with getting to the World Cup, but, but definitely the talent is here. It's just about pushing it forward and giving every player that extra bit of help to try and make the breakthrough and, and get to that highest level. Yeah, it's something that we've been trying to really push home that as exciting and as, you know, great it will be to actually get to a World Cup. We need to make sure that like the FAI and the league and the clubs and everyone else here like feels the benefit of that and that they're pushing on and making sure that that... I suppose that the young Katie McCabe's or Denise O'Sullivan's or Amber Barrett's or whoever it is across the country, that the pathways are there for them. And this isn't just like a, a one and done because we've seen that in the history of Irish sport before, say like the Irish rugby team and stuff. And we don't, we don't want that to be the same thing here. And um, for yourself at the moment, I know you said about 
moving and it being with an eye to the World Cup. Are you just focusing on the moment of getting back on the pitch and getting over this injury? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, um, I've been out for for eight weeks now and trying to push back to get myself fit. Um, I've been involved with the home base sessions kind of all the way through. Um, and now at the moment, it's just about getting fit. And I'm constantly asked about the World Cup and my chances and everything else. And it's it's natural. People always say it to me. Um, and for me, it's just about really getting myself right for Rovers. And even before the injury, it was about playing well for Rovers because that's what gets you in the into Vera's eyes, I suppose, in terms of, of seeing you performing well. Um, yeah, get myself fit, get back playing for Rovers. Um, a few of the young players are doing quite well as well, so I'm going to have my work quite out getting back into the team too. So I uh, have to make sure that I do that. And then we'll go from there. I hope we get back involved with the home base squad and the sessions. And, and yeah, just take it uh, game by game and day by day in terms of, of where I get to. But yeah, I'm really excited to get back on the pitch, really excited about the upcoming World Cup and, and the Women's National League here as well. So it's, it's a good time for women's football. I feel like they're like ghosts on my shoulder, but uh, Emma Byrne was at one of the home base training sessions this week and she was yeah. saying on the Quigic podcast, she was like, Karen, I don't know how you're keeping up with all these young ones. She was like, they're very good. And Karen was like, I'm still here, aren't I? And she was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Experience. You use your head sometimes more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Karen was like, I know when to throw a shoulder and they don't know that too much just yet. <laughs> yeah. um, and finally, I saw that you were one of the lucky few who made Made it into Dublin Castle for the visit of Joe Biden when he was here. How was that experience for you? Yeah, it was a little bit surreal to be honest with you because I we got the invitation. I got the invitation and it was obviously single invite only, so I went by myself. And I remember going, kind of not really knowing what to expect. I just presumed there'd be loads of people there because, like, why were you asking me? Not <laughs> there, and it was like I seen Stephen Kenny was there, and I got chatting to him. And then we were both kind of looking around, going, "There doesn't seem to be many people here." And then there was like a a table setting and stuff. So we went looking at that and I was like, geez, there's not many here at all. Like, so it was obviously a huge privilege to be asked along to it. And as I said, it was quite surreal because we were sitting very close to him. I got the chat to him. I got a selfie with him. And um, I was actually sitting beside one of his right-hand men as well. So he was like, you know, he loves a selfie. Go up and ask him. And I was kind of like, you know, the typical Irish person, like hovering around. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be going wrecking his head. So I kind of, I went up and then I sat back down and it was only because uh, Mike was his name, Mike Donegan, he kind of said to me, oh, go on back up, go on back up. I went up again and I, I got the picture and, and he was chatting to me a little bit. He said his, his granddaughter played State in America or played State in America, so she has an interest in football too. So uh, it was quite uh, relatable and quite chatty. And as I said, it was just a, a great honour to be asked along to it. Yeah, I think I saw there was only something like 160 people there. So you definitely deserved the invite and did well to get in there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Stephanie, thank you so much to, for chatting to us. It's been really great. And I hope you get back on the pitch very, very soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.